0: Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to Critical Witness. If you're on the podcast, it might not be evening, but you're welcome anyway. We're looking forward to a really uh, productive conversation with Bethy uh, from One Truth Project or courses on your on your name. I've noticed that it's uh, on the Zoom there, but um, we're gonna get s- straight into it really. Uh, Bethy's got a lot of experience with Islam and uh, that's pretty much gonna be the topic uh, for tonight alongside sort of history and, and various other things seeing where the conversation takes us and um we're here f- for a, a decent amount of time no time limits really apparently <laughs> it's risky. It's risky. risky. <laughs> so, uh, yeah anyway it's so good to have you here bethy really good to uh, finally meet virtually as we've been planning this for a little while um let's start the evening off with uh, a little bit about yourself, your journey to faith, and um, we'll go from there, really.
1: Uh, Oh, great to be here, Dan and Phil. Thank you for inviting me. And I've loved watching some of your former chats with people. It's always really informative. And I always learn, which is fantastic. Um, Yeah, just very quickly, I guess I'm from Africa. I was born and raised there, moved to England when I was about 13 years old, did my secondary education in England. And then five years later, escaped the country and said I was never coming back. Uh, Went to do a Bible degree in America. And that set me on the road to come back into Britain and to start working with immigrants and refugees. So my first job in England was really uh, teaching uh, refugees from all sorts of countries, uh, primarily though from Turkey. So there'll be Kurdish refugees from Turkey and teaching English and helping them assimilate into British culture. It was quite a shock for some of them. Them. they didn't choose to be here so it was just helping through all that trauma that a lot of them had gone through building incredible friends some of whom are still my close friends and then from there becoming quite intrigued to learn more and more about Islam uh, I ended up in a place that Speakers Corner that I know some of you have been there and started reaching out to and, and sort of engaging with Muslim missionaries and they were debating my faith and that really thought oh I've got to learn more so I did an MA in Islamics uh, looking at the internal debates between Muslims themselves. So really your traditional Muslims, uh, challenging moderate liberal Muslims and vice versa and all those sort of tugs of wars within Islam itself. And that was a fantastic study. And from there, just kept learning, kept studying. And now I teach Islamics and I teach a uh, sort of biblical response to Islam. I run an online course um, in Islamics for Christians and also have written a short little book uh, that is for Christians, but anyone to read as well as uh ongoing studies and developing more resources which we will put on our website over the next year or so
0: amazing is that all through one truth because i noticed that you've got another page as well is the so first we have steps.
1: just a, a podcast that we do it's just a new podcast called the first steps of god that in and of itself we, t- we entitled it that because we want to uh, get people thinking of well that's really a biblical idea the first steps of god what do you mean and it's hmm. taken from an orthodox icon where you have mary leading jesus teaching jesus how to walk and the first thing is like whoa what do you mean like a person teaching god how to walk and so it really is just a prompt a conversation. And we we tackle all sorts of new trends and ideas, um, misconceptions that people have about Christianity and Islam, about the Middle Ages and so on, and tackle all sorts of interesting um, ideas that people have I suppose to sum up that particular podcast, it's it's really looking at myths and legends in modern society and asking probing questions of them and maybe bringing in a different uh, opinion that is, uh, we hope, uh, informed and certainly has come from our studies. And the two guests on that, one is a theologian and a church history expert and, and the other is a Middle Ages expert. So it's a fantastic discussion. Amazing. I enjoy it. I love it. I learn so much from them.
0: Is that Paul Blackham?
1: Yeah, Reverend Dr. Paul Blackham and um, his son, PJ Blackham. And he's a young man, but I've never met anyone who knows more about the Middle Ages than that man.
2: (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Oh, that's the, yeah. the kind of ages that you need. Yeah. I've, I've watched a couple of the episodes. They're very good, and I could tell you, you were enjoying it. You generally, I was like, "Oh, this is good." She's having a good time. I'm having a good time as well. It was, it was good. It was very informative. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's something I've shared it, around it a
1: little bit as well. We have a lot of joy, and yeah, yeah, it's a good. It's it's a good fun to run that program.
0: It Does <laughs> help. That's kind of what we're we're like. You don't need to worry about numbers and viewers and stuff when you're enjoying yourself. Yeah. <laughs> It's not hard work. One
1: of um, the one of the guys who edits it, he's fantastic. He's Argentinian Italian, so it's an interesting mix. And he edited it, and he was saying just just the other days, like better we don't have that many views. I said, don't worry about that. That God will sort that out in the future. I said, look, there's other videos we did four years ago, and boom, overnight, thousands watch. So don't worry about that.
2: Nice. <laughs> I think that's the thing as well as with the online stuff is because it's. It's just out there then, and it just racks them up over the the month, you know, weeks, months and years and stuff like that. And so the initial thing doesn't really matter too much, does it? Like like you said. And Um, to be
1: honest with you, God just needs to reach one person and mm -hmm. through that one person. That's why we do what we do, don't we? Because we just love the Lord. We want everyone to meet the Lord and know him like we do. So uh, just one person and that person may take that message into parts of the world that you and I can't go and so on.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, definitely. So Dan, what's your, what's your first question? Have you got a first question and then we'll kind of, we'll go from there.
2: Um... Well, no, this is good. I mean, this is, this is nice to me because um, as we were t- chatting a bit before we started about, so I haven't really had, uh, used to have some really good Muslim friends, moved around, not so much anymore. So I haven't thought, so Had had to kind of engage too much with Islam, but um, I don't know, I just General sort of questions about um, you know the Quran is that Muslims talk about the Quran as it's this uh, perfect book, uh, you know, revealed um, to to uh, to Muhammad. Um, and I'd just be interested in you know um, you know how reliable is the Quran as a kind of uh, historical uh, religious book? Um, and yeah, I'd just be interested to, to hear a bit more about that.
1: I think it's a really uh, interesting area of study that uh, quite a lot of uh, researchers around the world are now really investigating. It's a fairly new investigation, funny enough. There were certainly Christians early on in the the sort of... Early years of Islam that they asked probing questions of, of Islam, of the religion and, and where on earth it came from, where did this book come from, and so on. Um, but certainly the, the latest research is really pointing to um, a, a history of Islam from its Quran and, and all and how that was compiled right through to where did Islam actually start, where does it actually come from? Um it, it, the, the, the research is pointing to a very different story to the traditional story that Muslims Uh, believe around the world Um, but even that the idea that there's this perfect almost magical vision of this book called the quran and that it's perfect and it's unchanged and no human hands have touched it and altered it and there's just nothing wrong with this book i mean that doesn't even make sense and we live in a world uh where (laughs) Any book has been written by a human being at some point. And so it has the touch of human beings in it, including the Quran. And any of us who study the Quran, I study the Quran, I read the Quran quite often, um, just because I want to be familiar with what my friends believe. And and if I teach Islam, I I need to be familiar with it. Um, But it doesn't read as a book that comes from a being that is uh, beyond our universe um, and a being that is far greater than us. It really does. Come uh, across as a book that's been drawn together by multiple different um, sources and so on. And uh, just the fact that we don't even have Arabic Qurans today that agree with each other. And then when you go back to the earliest Qurans, those earliest Qurans don't agree with each other. Um, There's a wonderful resource out, and I noticed you had Andy Bannister um, on some while ago, and uh, he's part of a project that they put out where they now have a I think it's called, oh, what is it called? It's looking at the different Qurans and um you can actually go on to that um online resource and compare um the Qurans, those early Qurans. So it's right there now wow. for everyone to see and access, which is which is fantastic. Yeah.
0: So what's what's the kind of response there? I mean, generally when I've engaged in that kind of discussion, if I've got to that point where I can challenge the Quran isn't the same, or at least it does. It doesn't sound like it's made from god it, it doesn't sound that beautiful that that's that's the challenge isn't it no, nothing as beautiful as the quran has ever been written
2: yeah,
0: yeah. and I, that's very subjective but also um the challenge is generally put back to me well you don't know arabic therefore you have no authority to speak on this
1: but that in and of itself, as a non-Arabic speaker, I mean, I know some Arabic and I certainly had to learn written Arabic to do my MA, uh, but as far, I'm not an Arabic speaker, don't pretend to be. Um, mm. Why would God limit my faith to, to go to one religion that's such a poor, uh, uh, a small, excuse me, not poor,
3: uh, mm. quite wealthy, <laughs> but
1: a, a small part of the world speaks, the this small, this small language. And um, in, in a sort of a, a location of the world that half of us can't freely move in um, it just seems very strange so the fact that you have to know arabic in order to draw near to this being that i don't nece- i don't recognize um in order to pray ultimately of course i can do my personal dua prayer in my language but to do the formal prayers and language i don't understand a ritualized saying again to a being that i don't recognize a prayer that doesn't i don't really uh, uh, doesn't mean anything to me especially when i compare it to the lord's prayer Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Um, so it, it it just even that in and of itself that my Muslim friends ask me to to well better you need to pray in Arabic and Arabic is the language that God communicates and has re- revealed His revelation to and I just think well what kind of God would be so limited to this one language mm. and be so stuck into one language it really seems to draw God down to this small being that is very human we're we're all trapped into our la- our languages aren't we and into our tribes God is. God is mm. way beyond that and he can interact with us in whatever language so I find that um in and of itself doesn't help the Muslim uh not uh, it's only when they're saying that to me that doesn't help the Muslim cause at all it would limit God to quite a small being a very human type of being
2: mm. yeah it's um it's interesting you mentioned that uh, um Annie Bannister again because I've noticed a lot more books coming out now from um academics sort of engaging in literary criticism of the of the Quran which historically obviously the bible has been you know so sort of over 150 years of, of um you know of, of undergoing that sort of level of investigation what, why is it only recently started in in Islam it seems like this is something that's been going on maybe just the last sort of 10 10 years really yes, um, a
1: really good question uh, uh, it, it it did start about the 1960s uh, okay. in some of the academic institutions and um, a lot of that has moved to America. Started a lot of it started here in England, but moved moved to America. Really, America and England is where a lot of this sort of thinking began, and also Germany. Uh, but it really didn't um, come out of some of the top notch academic institutions. It kind of stayed there in a small pool of uh, of those who were daring and and was very daring to challenge Islam there is a bit more of a risk to challenge Islam, it's not politically correct, Uh, people could lose their chair very easily in some of these academic institutions, and really, it's been in the last decade where this whole area of hit the historical critique of Islam's history, which has been done excellently by the Fanta Center for Apologetics, which is now based in America, but works worldwide. Um, there's groups in different parts of the world, Arabic speakers working on the project where they're looking at the history of Islam, uh, where it's birth, its foundations, all the way through to the Quran itself. And there's a, a London-based t- um, team that's looking into that. Some who go down to places like Speaker's Corner a Christians looking into some of those questions, and it really has taken off in the last few years because suddenly there's a lot more Arabic uh, resources, or resources that, or, or Arabic sources, I should say, excuse me, that only used to be in Arabic but now being translated, or people um, have more access to to these ancient texts and also modern Arabic texts. People have just been doing their homework. And certainly in the Christian world, and there's been a momentum in the Christian world that this is now, um, or it it has grabbed people's attention. But I would say even just 10 years ago, a lot of Christians were not asking these critiquing questions. It was as if it was in the psyche of Christian-Muslim interaction where, oh, never, never um, ask probing questions of Islam. Muslim friends can ask probing questions of Christianity, but we can't of Islam. So I think our own sort of approaches and understanding of how to interact with people of other faith, and we're specifically talking about Islam, was very different. That has changed as people have begun to realize, hang on, we really should be free to interact with each other's religions and interact with each other's claims and ask probing questions. And wouldn't Jesus have done that? So I think there's a lot more Christians who are waking up to, let's just be a little bit more confident. People have asked questions about Christianity for 100 years. Let's now do that of Islam. Yes, as Christians, it could be uh, dangerous for ex-Muslims. It's much more dangerous and people have got hurt doing this. So you can see you have to be very convinced and very have a real um, passion from the Lord to to dig into Islam. You get insulted. You can get really uh, humiliated or attempted humiliation of your character publicly if you are engaging in this area of expertise. Um, But it's so important to to. to to do and because they now have so many answers and so many good challenges that are really undermining the traditional story of Islam including the Quran and its historicity now it's really taking momentum and it's beginning to not just be in academia it's beginning to now get out to the masses through video uh, through online platforms and people are beginning to talk about it from your institutions right down um, to your your personal on the street so it's exciting so there has been some blocks some self-imposed some because you lose your chair if you're in academia uh and some I think because Christians have got on board we're not afraid Mm. to be a little bit made fun of or persecuted or so on we're not afraid to even lose our life for our faith and as we ask questions so maybe that's helped it as well
2: so what would be um to be interested like a, a couple of kind of points maybe like two or three points where we kind of set up, you know, what do what Muslims say about the Quran? And they're saying that it's, um, you know, my understanding is they're saying it's, uh, you know, it was tran- transmitted uh, to Muhammad. Um, it was communicated orally uh, at first, and then it was eventually written down, perfectly preserved. And since that point, um, it's always been um, perfectly uh, replicated, recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have the Quran we have, I've already gone to a shop today uh by the quran and that quran would be identical um to to the to the first Qurans that were written and if i read them aloud they would be orally identical to what um was 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 given to muhammad now the thing i've always thought about that is is um even then it like you were saying earlier phil it's it's almost it is completely subjective because even even if um it was perfectly uh copied each time i mean that would almost be miraculous in and of itself if you could perfectly copy a book by the human hand for 1300 years i mean uh but that that seems to me like the the strongest case you have is like well it's a perfectly preserved book at, at, at its strongest But um, even if it
1: is a perfectly preserved book, doesn't make it from the divine, doesn't make it from God. Absolutely.
2: So what what would maybe be two or three points that would kind of um, would would show that that narrative is not accurate?
1: You know, two very simple ways, because it's a deeply it's quite obviously has a lot of uh, it can be quite complex and it can be a bit daunting when you first go into this area of study. But I think what's really helpful um, just in a conversation with my Muslim friends, I just ask them, well, What are your dates? First of all, look at dates and then just do a comparison. So let's start with the dates. Um, The traditional story is that you have the Quran and sort of by six, well, of course, Muhammad dies 632. I mean, that's the the date that you sort of judge everything up against. And then within 20 years or so, 22 years, you have this completed Quran um, compiled by Uthman, the third caliph. And so this perfect, wonderful Quran has been compiled and it's never changed since that time. Well, first of all, why is it that the first Qurans that we have in existence today don't really begin to appear to at least 60 years later, if not more? Why is it that um, the Qur'an that that they use today It doesn't actually, um, uh, it cannot be based on those earliest Qurans that we have. So we have some big, monumental, huge Qurans, not we personally, but in certain libraries and so on. And as they've done a study on those Qurans, they're not the same as the Qur'an they use today. So where did the Qur'an come from that they use today, based on what manuscript? So those early manuscripts don't agree, the Qur'an they use today doesn't agree with those early manuscripts. So where does the Quran today come from? When was it canonized? When it was it affirmed as the Quran that everyone should use? Does every country in the world accept one Quran and so on? So you have that, but also the dates, the dates of those earliest Quran's, So the one that's in Istanbul, one that's in Tashkent, in Cairo, the one that's in the British Library, for example, those early Qurans are too late. They're not from the time of Uthman. And they can, uh, academics can can look at the scripts. They can look at, um, even Dan has done a great study where they're looking at how there's obvious changes. There's been uh, things erased out of the Quran. You can get his book, which is an excellent book, just looking at some of the simple changes that even uh, a novice can look at and see, oh yeah, there really is changes there. And wait a minute, that's actually not the same as the Quran that they're using today. So just by simple comparison, modern-day Quran with the ancient Qurans, and then today's Arabic Qurans, there's multiple different versions out there, and then the dates don't add up. And that, to a historian, they just begin to think, so we should have a Quran from about AD uh, 650-52 say, Uthman compiled it all together Uh, under Uthmanic, um, the Uthmanic rules called the Uthmanic recension and the earliest scholars who are studying these earliest Qurans, like the one in Topkapah, those Muslim scholars have admitted that Topkapah Quran is not the Uthmanic. Now what Muslim scholars will say is there is an Uthmanic recension, but we just don't know where it is. Um, But all of this doesn't add up to the traditional story. Uh, So if the Quran was set in stone, perfect, unchanged, why are the earliest six or more Quran's in existence today from 60 to 100 to 150 years after Muhammad died, why do those earliest Quran's not agree with each other? And now we've got resources out there that people can go look it up for themselves. And that's what's really super exciting.
2: Sorry, just one more, one more thing. Just yeah, no, to you, sorry, Phil. Go. So, so, so what what does him say in response to that? So, obviously, you can you can bring those those, those points up. Now, if they really do have that, uh, you know, that's genuine. They they think it. it what you what you're saying, um, you know, about it being perfectly preserved. That's what they believe. Then, how how do they how do they respond to that? I mean, what what have been some of the responses?
1: So for some, it's brand spanking new, and uh, you multiple responses. Some will just say you're lying, and that they can say that. But now that there are resources that are being developed by multiple people, so you've got um, Arabic speakers working on our team with um, Jay Smith in America. You have um, the online, and I wish I could remember the 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 the, the, the name of it um, from Andy Bannister and others. Um, and is it John Brubaker? Let me just see if I've got it. Uh, we, we can
2: always add a link yeah. in at the end as well. Yeah. We
1: can. Um you've got some excellent work done. I think it's John Brubaker who's done excellent work on this. And uh and what can be helpful is actually getting John Brubaker's little book. And um, on the front cover is one of those old Qurans and it shows that there's been changes just by looking at the scripts. You don't need to be an academic or even done a deep study. You just literally need to look at the pictures that are in his book. So that's a very helpful book to have. And it just means that you can say, hey, these are from the earliest Korans. Look, they don't agree with the Quran you use today and they don't even agree with each other. And that's that's just starts the conversation, and it just helps people to see, huh? Okay, this idea that we have this preserved, perfect Quran, uh, there's some real questions around it. So now we need to start thinking this through and realizing what what where did our religion come from? Where did this Quran come from? Uh, I was once speaking to a Muslim missionary. He was brand new to the country. Um, he was from Pakistan, and he even told me, "I've come to England with my wife to be a missionary." Now. This is back in the days over a decade ago. I used to go to Speaker's Corner and uh, I happened to have, because I'm a bit of a nerd that way, the top copper, copy of the top copper, one of his earliest Qurans in my, in my bag. And he was saying that the Quran is perfect. The Bible's been changed. The Quran is perfect. And I said, Well, can I show you what some Muslim scholars who have looked at one of your earliest Qurans say about that early Quran? This is the one from Turkey. So I pulled it out as a beast of a book and I. Opened up um, the pages to where it, uh, where the actual um, Turkish uh, academic Muslim academics have done this study, and they admit. Um, some of the problems with the Quran in the in the front um, introduction parts of that book. And uh, I remember just watching him and his eyes filled up with tears. And I just said to him, I know this is really difficult to read, especially if you believe since you were a child that this is a perfect book that's preserved and on the tablets of heaven or at least has been given down to Muhammad and it's perfect and so on. And I know this is difficult reading, but you just cannot make that claim that it's a perfect, unchanged book. Um, you really do have to look and see that there's a history in this book. It's been, It's evolved. There's been changes in theology and um, there are changes between those earliest Qurans. It took over 100 to 200 years to develop uh, and so on. And the Quran used today doesn't agree with those earliest Qurans, which means you've just got to start asking some questions. Mm. Um, so he... he for him it was shocking but that's okay I don't want to hurt him but at the same time if it gets him thinking and then he starts thinking hang on a minute let's really seek who God actually is and how does he communicate with us he doesn't just communicate in books God communicates in person God himself communicates with us then that moves them to start thinking about the Lord Jesus and so on so different responses
2: so Mm. so what if a Muslim just said that well um that the meaning of the text is not changed. So perhaps I know was it was the earliest Qurans is a Kufic script. Um, it, so some, sometimes, I, I can't remember, is it diacritic notches, you know, in Arabic? Yeah, they're in different places or, or things like that and some of the different versions. So well, the thing they,
1: is, it, 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 the wordings have changed. And um, one of the things I think Dan Brubaker's book helps to look at and some of these online um, uh, resources you can now look at, uh, the meaning has changed. That's the okay. thing. The meaning really okay. has changed. Um, and some I one typical one that many use, and some people say, Well, it's not really big difference. There's one where it talks about, um, either you're doing the killing or you're the one being killed. And I've heard Muslims say, Well, that that yeah, that's not much of a change. I'm going, oh, Well, uh, I'm the murderer or I'm being murdered. I mean, there's there is a quite a big difference there's there, has it has a big impact on my life, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So, but it's much more than that, it, it's a okay. whole portions of the quran are not in the earliest quran so portions that are in the quran today even whole chapters or chunks of chapters that are in the quran today are not in those earliest qurans and that that's quite significant
0: so with with that i've heard one response which was i think actually he was quoting it might have been burbecker but it was just a youtube one of the dawah team uh has got thousands of followers His three-and-a-half-minute response or something, it was very short, was basically, well, go to the local imam, find a certificate for recitation of the Qur'an. That certificate takes him all the way back to Muhammad, so it doesn't really matter about the words of the Qur'an. It's preserved orally and has been preserved perfectly that way.
1: I've heard many Muslims say that, and uh, I've heard many say that what we recite is the same as what was recited you know, in the early years. Well, how would you know i mean yeah. that is just a claim out of thin air how would you how would you know Are you, there is no it's just you, you can't even come to that conclusion and which recitation are they reciting is it the recitation of that student because what what we know of the early uh sort of compilation of the qurans there were multiple schools of thought and students so you have different leaders and students under those those uh, leaders and it's the qurans have come from those different schools of thought uh so which recitation and which part of the world that's the other thing the traditional story says everything starts in mecca and medina well eh, all the archaeology and all the inscriptions and all the earliest uh, uh findings that as they're reading, even the is the actual stories from Islam itself is pointing to far much more north than the actual even geographical location that Muslims traditionally say Islam started in. And so everything's pointing to different locations, it's pointing to uh to a very to a language of Arabic that wasn't even advanced enough to contain the Quran, that is, is now the Quran today um, that the Arabic language had to evolve to accommodate the Quran that's that's used today uh, when they look at the earliest Quran's um, if they say it's recitation the problem is is that you have uh, different Quran's that are different sizes and somewhere whole portions are not even in those earliest Quran's so it's not even about recitation it's not even about accent it is about whole portions of the Quran are different mm. you just can't get away from it and now that these Passages of the Quran are out in the public sphere that anyone can access. This is an investigation that we all can um, begin to uh, look into, whether we go into it as a professional or just because we're quite interested. To, mm. to look
0: at it. There's, there's quite Thank a few you. questions sort of rattling around in my head from that, but just one on the, the chat, which is interesting. So, would you go to the Hadith? Because I've heard it as well. There is a Hadith. Hadith, or is there a hadith? Maybe this is a question that says that the the copies of the Quran were rounded up by Uthman and burned.
1: Yes, so there is certainly some tradition and some belief where, uh, in the early years of from from the from the Islamic perspective, that uh, they accepted one version and the rest were destroyed, and that's very interesting. So if it is only dialect or if it is only a sort of an oral recitation that. And it's not really doesn't mean that it's been changed. Why would you get rid of all those early Qurans? I mean, that's a very good question. No, we don't have to answer that question. No. That's the question we have to ask yeah. our Muslim friends.
2: Well, yeah. Wasn't there, didn't Muhammad say that the, the best reciter, I can't remember his name, there was someone who was, the, who was said to be the best reciter of the Quran, but then his, his versions were um, destroyed?
1: There were all sorts of, yes, and well, there were all sorts of internal debates and people saying, but I want to go with that one and someone else wants to go with this version. If you look at the early... Uh, years of Islam from Islamic sources. So from the Hadith, from the Sirah Rasulullah, from the tafsir, which was usually written much later. So those are the um, exegetes of the Quran that gives you the context of revelation. Um, Often it's written sort of 400 years later, but still it's from those sort of stories and traditions that they find, they say they get the context of of the Quranic revelation. Um, And you look at the histories and so on. When you look at all these different sources that Muslims go to to be able to compile their history and then, of course, it's very different between your Shia and your Sunni, because then they have different sources they go to. But when you look at all of those sort of as a package, <laughs> you you will see that um, their own traditions don't allow for this perfectly preserved, um, fluid religion that naturally developed and was given from the these preser- preserved tablets and handed down to Muhammad through an angel and so on. Um, whilst that's that story is there within their own Islamic texts, there seems to be all sorts of tug of wars happening. And there's a tug of war, of course, between the earliest factions of Islam, which today are called Shia and Sunni, Uh, but it's much more than that. There was tugs of war between the leaders themselves and um, the latest evidence is pointing to the fact that uh, there seems to be a real conflict between um, tribal tribes in different locations vying for supremacy. And we see that all through the history of Islam, that has never ended. And so that's really how Islam started. It was a tribal conflict warfare, Um, it spread by the sword, it was spreading before it became an established religion. It had spread into Europe just around the time Islam was becoming an established religion, which is very interesting. Um, So it took sort of a hundred years to even develop into a religion uh, that was really recognized but all of both internally looking at the sources of Islam itself as well as external evidence is pointing to a completely different picture from what people have traditionally been taught um, of how Islam started.
2: Could could you explain a bit more about what you just said then? Because my my understanding is obviously um, Muhammad died in 632 and then he got the Battle of Torres uh, 732. Uh, So Islamic armies made their way to sort of Gaul, present day France. So what what did you mean by they were already spreading before they become an official religion?
1: So if you look at the first 60 years, even more of uh, of Islam, or at least of when this group of people or groups of people were spreading uh, through Arabia, uh, into north africa uh right through eastern north africa uh destroying churches and uh and decapitating wonderful Moroccan queen all the way through that uh, North African Christian and also pagan part of the world, enslaving people as they went, women and men, and took the tribal um, slave warriors into Europe. By seven eleven, conquered began to conquer southern Europe. Um, when you look at what these invading warriors were called, and they were going to other parts of the world as well, um, they were not called Muslims. They were not known as 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 these people who followed a religion called Islam. The term Muslim, Islam, those sorts of terms didn't really exist until the end of the seventh century. So Muhammad died 632. It's not until 690 and later, you even begin to see these terms um, of Muslim, Islam, they're called other words, um, they're called Sarasans and so on. And those were the invaders, these tribal warriors that were moving through Different parts of the world out from northern, uh, sort of Jordan part of the world, not even from down south and uh, where Mecca is, and so on. And they conquered very quickly, uh, but very quickly, overnight in the early sort of eighth century or so, you begin then to see a formulation of a religion. Um, and everything seems to kick off around 690 to about. Uh, yeah, about se- uh, 7.15, 7.20, where you begin to see a sort of mu- a little bit more of a uh, some sort of entity, religious entity, really forming. Uh, we know within 200 years, they certainly had got um, a more, uh, not set in stone, but there was a much more established religion. Uh, it began to establish itself in different parts of the world. Uh, and then, sort of, Allah became sort of front and cent- central, almost as if it was a challenge against Christianity. Uh, but it, it was a very tribal, inter political. Uh, warfare happening and it seemed to be different tribes vying against each other was there an early prophet there was certainly early leaders they may have been an early muhammad the dates though that they're now discovering don't weigh up to the traditional date that there was this prophet called muhammad received revelations alone in a cave initially then and all sorts of other weird and normal uh, situations. He kept receiving these revelations, died by 6.32. Those stories, those dates are not adding up to what the historical record is now telling us. Dan Gidson is behind that. Founder Centre of Apologetics is looking into that. And their teams of researchers and Arabic um, speakers are really bringing a lot of that to light.
0: So that, I know that's, that's fairly huge, because uh, I mean, the pushback would be... Generally, from what I I can tell, uh, Muslims go to Bartimaeus to disprove Jesus <laughs> as <laughs> as a, a a figure. But the the history, as far as I know, as far as I've researched, the history for, around Jesus in existence at the dates for Christianity that we we all kind of agree on died around 32, 33 We've got the massive uh, AD 70 date to kind of go around figuring out when the Gospels were. Those dates have have been contested for years, but are fairly well established now. That's fairly big that it seems like Muhammad wasn't even around at the time he should have been.
1: Yes, it's interesting. All of the sort of same kind of questions that have been asked of the Christian faith. Uh, uh, the Christians, uh, not just the Christians, but the historical record is supporting the um, the biblical record. That uh, We're not saying that that proves that it's true, but we're just showing that when the Bible talks about, both prophesies hundreds of years before the events and then talks about uh, the gospel writers write down what happened, the historical record is supporting uh, what the gospel say happened, as well as um, the early first century uh, first century testimony does not go against um, anything that the Bible teaches. That's not what's happening with the Quran and with Islam. And so the traditional story that you find of Islam from um, Muhammad's biographies, as well as from the hadith, the sayings and so doings of Muhammad and the Quran itself, uh, what they claim, those stories claim is not being supported by the first century of Islam. So the Bible is supported by the first century of Christianity, but the Quran and the, the Islamic rest record is not supported by the testimony of the first century, both internally, but also externally. And that is quite profound found. It does mean that the biblical record, whether you believe Jesus is God or not, the fact is the biblical record and external record and the hostile witnesses, those against the Christian faith, affirm what the the Bible said happened. Whilst if you go to the Quran and Islam, actually the external record as well as the actually the stories, uh, as they're going into the actual stories themselves of, the, of, of Islam, is actually showing a very different uh, different scenario. So the, mm. que- the questions uh, that have been applied to the Bible, or applying to the Quran, um, Muslims do have to start responding, uh, because the historical record is coming up with a totally different picture of what the traditional story of Islam teaches.
0: So basically, as some of London theorists just commented on there, that basically we should be Muhammad mythicists. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe not. Maybe not. The myth as of as Muhammad, as Yes, I mean
1: it is the myth of Muhammad. Mm. Uh, there is no myth of Jesus. He is a historical figure, and anyone who says he isn't has not just has not done their homework. Yep. So that's. Well, uh, has but, a career. But, <laughs> but with, but with <laughs> Muhammad, it is a myth. it, it is a myth, and that mm. helps us as well to ask the bigger questions of who is God. You see, up until recently, even Christians bought or some Christians, and it is actually a very recent phenomena. But some Christians in recent years, probably really post-enlightenment is when this idea really came into Christian thinking, but the sort of syncretism that you saw, of people trying to say that Islam and Christianity are from the same Abrahamic faith, or they all belong to Abraham, and the idea that Allah and Jehovah are the same, but just, you know, just understood a little differently, and you have certain Muslims and Christians that will sign up to that, and you have all sorts of atheists signing up to that when they talk about Islam and Christianity. So many of my non-Christian friends who are not religious to say, well, Beth, aren't you from the same tradition? And isn't it the same God? You just understand it a little differently. All those sorts of ideas um, can also be challenged by asking these these, these questions of the history of Islam. Because as you begin to, you begin to realize, hang on, where did Islam start? It has nothing to do with Abraham or Abraham's people. It's much more to do with paganism and it's really found some of its uh, ideas and the way you worship in Islam, the way you go on the sort of pilgrimage to Mecca. Um, Those are pagan institutions that are right at the heart of Islam and the, the different things that every Muslim has to do once in their lifetime or pay someone to do for them if they can't do it themselves. When they go on this pilgrimage, it is straight pagan worship It has right. nothing to do with the God of Abraham. In fact, if you look at the God of Abraham, it, 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 the some sort of the key aspects of Islamic worship are against what the God of Abraham teaches. And so um, you have to start thinking, let's start doing a comparison between the theologies, the practices, the rituals of Islam, and what God says is right ritual and right religion to him in the Bible. And also look at the historicity of Islam. Uh, It starts in a pagan area. It adopts pagan ideas. It adopts a pagan view of God, even the the name Allah. Where does that come from? Um, It has a view of God that seems to be more of a a Roman Greek idea of God, it doesn't even relate to the triune God of the Bible, and so these questions are so important, because it throws all sorts of questions up that you can ask, not just its historicity, but also into the deep theologies, the history of ideas, where does Islam come from, where does, where, how did it develop, does it develop out of a a Christian idea or does it develop out of a pagan idea and i say it develops out of a pagan idea and it has absolutely nothing to do with the god of the bible
3: all
2: right i'm going to sign slightly different um it's interesting again there's lot to, kind of like, to think about really yeah <laughs> Why? No, processing why do why do Muslims refer to Jesus as Isa? Now, because my understanding, it might be wrong, um, in Arab Christians call Jesus, is it Yasu or y- Yashu or something? They s- should,
1: something, do. They should they, do. They should do. But I,
2: earliest, I know...
1: Arabic, the earliest translations of the Bible into Arabic uses Yeshua, which is hmm. Jesus, how we say it in English. Or yeah. yeah you know uh but it's the latest arabic bibles and also the quran use isa which i don't
2: right. <laughs> so so why why did why do muslims why did where did isa come from who is isa
1: so we, I t- on our online course that we teach for Christians, and some of that material we're going to make available for everyone, oh, uh, we have a comparison, which I think we'll put up on our website, maybe I can do that in the next week or so, if you go to onetruthproject.org, and um, it's a new website, it's not too much up there at the moment, but um, what we'll do is there's a comparison that we do between Jesus, Isa, Muhammad, and we do we just it's just literally um bible verses then we look at quranic uh, and also uh, a few verses from the Sira rasulullah so if you want to go to the life of muhammad you don't go to the quran there's not that mm-hmm. much in there there's more go, of jesus
0: isn't there in the quran
1: a lot more isa and mary, and era.
0: mary.
3: Era. sorry sorry <laughs> In the, in the
1: Quran. <laughs> I don't know. I've not seen Jesus. Jesus is nowhere to be seen in the no. Quran. I'm I i can not find Jesus in the Quran. I read a, it,
0: you know, actually. But so many would say that it would be Jesus. And I've seen well I've got Bibles where it says Isa.
1: And there are Bibles. Uh, I have a Turkish Bible, and when I was learning Turkish, when I was, uh, I used to help at a Turkish-speaking church over oh, 20 years ago, and I was learning Turkish, and we had a Turkish Bible. Now they did use for God Tanra rather than Allah. Uh, but uh, which would have been just a, a local way of saying of saying God, like we say God in English. Mm. But they did use Isa, and um, it always troubled me a little bit because I think it might have caused more confusion. Thankfully, yeah. mm. when it did describe Isa in the in the Bible, I mean, it was very clearly it's it's the person that we love and worship, the Lord yeah. Jesus. Yeah. But I think that term and that name has been unhelpful to use in translations. It comes out of, if again, you look at the history of ideas, it comes out post-enlightenment, it comes a post-reformation, post-enlightenment, it's when um, Bible age, uh, so translation agencies um, maybe uh, didn't have theologians alongside them when they were doing their translations, who knows. But anyway, regardless, um, if you look, do do a comparison between Isa of the Quran, Jesus of the whole of the Bible and also, and Muhammad. Uh, You just see these are three very different characters. And um, it's quite helpful because Isa is is certainly someone that's uh, to be respected. Isa is certainly, a, a, he's called a righteous man in Surah 19, verse 19. Uh, he's a man who does miracles by Allah's leave. He's a man who raised people from the dead and did all sorts of wonderful things. And then you do a comparison of Muhammad, and it, Muhammad really doesn't do very much at all. When you even just compare him with Isa. Hmm. but then compare Esau with Jesus and Isa just doesn't even compare with Jesus. And you have Jesus who uh, not only does he raise people from the dead, not only does he do incredible miracles and controls the weather, you have Jesus who people worship. You have Jesus who is eating a food with Abraham in Genesis 18, who is um, talking to Moses and who God actually says um, that I present myself in dreams and visions to many prophets, but to Moses, he sees the form of the Lord. So you have Jesus, who's standing in a fire and in a cloud, leading the people out of slavery into the desert through the books of Exodus, he's the seen face of the living God. We learn that from Colossians chapter one verse fifteen. So this Jesus, who we worship, who is one day going to come and judge all human beings, and if we don't know who he is, Lord God and Savior then that is a bad situation for us. Now, when you do a comparison between Isa and Jesus, there's no comparison. Mm. Isa denies he's divine. Why he's concerned with denying he's divine, I, I'm not sure why. <laughs> um, it's almost like he's sort of taken up with, a, I've got to try saying say I'm not divine, which is the oddest thing. I don't go around saying, by the way, I'm not divine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm human, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But when they looked at Jesus, People worshipped him. Uh, that's fascinating. So you do a comparison between Isa and Jesus, and there's no comparison. Mm. So we do. We have this little sheet that I, um, I sort of, I, I teach people, and we can put it on our website if people want to have that comparison. It gives you mm. verses, really Bible verses, it gives you Quranic verses, and it gives you some like a few references from the Sira Rasulullah and so on.
2: That's helpful. But is is Isa an Arabic term? But where, well, like,
1: that's another interesting question because where does Isa come from? I mean, it's Arabic meant, now. Yeah. Some people say what well, it could have sort of a, you know Syriac origin, Some people say that we don't know where the term Isa comes from. What is the historicity of Isa? Does the term Isa hmm. exist before the Quran? Hmm. That's interesting. You know, like and this is
2: what I was interested about because I've uh, my understanding is you know, it's not an Arab. Work, like it's not an Arabic word. Like well, we know it's not there's something...
1: a lot of non-Arabic words in the Quran, which is rather intriguing because isn't the Quran supposed to be in Arabic? Doesn't Aren't we supposed to pray to the, the God of Islam in the Arabic language? Uh, everything's very Arabic. We look, we pray and turn towards Arab, um, the Arab part of the world if you're a Muslim. So, uh, you know, is Isa even Arabic? It, some people say Syriac, but even so, where does it come from?
2: But even yeah. Syriac in Jesus in Syriac is not Isa. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Where so does it, it come from? It seems to start with the Quran. Yeah, That would fit in with the historicity of of Islam. What what we're now finding out to be the actual history of Islam. So it would fit in with suddenly overnight. There's this sort of definition of who the Islamic God is, it's a singularity, it's a, it's sort of almost as if Allah is what Christianity says God, you know, it's the opposite of what Christianity says, it's almost like it's, it's sort of Allah is not that, rather than just presenting this as who Allah is. Um, same as Isa. Isa is like, I'm not divine, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so on. And so it, overnight, the this concept of Allah, of Isa, and then of a, a religious text, it seems to have happened fairly quickly, perhaps in the early 8th century. Um, more of that will become established as they study more and more.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing about all that because there's 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 so, there's so much in there i'm just kind of processing i do not even thought about isa and mean, there's a there's a couple of things just for those who aren't sort of on the same level in terms of uh language around the religion of islam you you said surah allah there's like
1: yes thank you surah so book uh, number we have chapters you know we have books like jeremiah chapter you know 3 verse 4 um in the quran surah so it would be like book and then an, and an Arab, it would have an arabic um description but if your westerners tend to say the number so surah 4 verse 34 that's the famous verse on women isn't it uh surah 4 verse 3 surah 4 uh so let's take the the verse on terrorism surah 8 verse 12 you can strike terror into the hearts of unbelievers um so it's surah book and then um muslims who know arabic would use the the arabic term the, the deaf and then but we tend to just use the number so surah 8 book 8 verse 12.
0: Right. OK, no, that's, that's helpful. Um, just to sort of level that out. Could you give an example of like other than Isa, because we've kind of established that, what would be another non-Arabic term? that?
1: Oh, well, I mean, just even describing things like pharaohs and uh, it talks about it talks about people who are, are not Arabs, of course. Um, so it it does talk about uh, uses terms uh, pharaoh wouldn't be an arabic term i mean of course you can't talk about history and everything is of one language because history has happened in multiple languages and god is the god of languages he's the one who mixed everyone's languages up didn't he Uh, so i mean god god speaks all these languages so it it seems even a, a sort of a little bit of a a ridiculous claim to say this is a perfect language and a perfect Quran and so on, it really does alienate anyone who's not an Arabic speaker. And my, for example, I've got dear, dear friends from other uh, other languages and they struggle with the fact that Arabic is um, so imposed upon them because mm. Arabic is not their language and that they actually do struggle with that. There's a bit of a tension within their own Islamic religion. And they say, well, they didn't manage to succeed in making us Arabs. These would be my Iranian friends. And they, they take issue with the mm. Arabization of their faith and mm. many of my iranian friends that that leave islam they register they register that hang on a minute we were totally sort of imposed upon by this mono language uh, uh cult, religious culture there's nothing to do with with me and we don't have that in christianity at all which is wonderful
0: it's the, the language is the the strategy of conquering isn't it the single exactly,
1: language exactly exactly you force people to speak one language you make everyone conform um it is a ma- matter of control worship has to be done in only one way again it's uh yes it is the it is the, the way of of conquering and of it, it bringing everyone under a certain banner uh language can be both a credible thing and it can be a very harmful thing mm.
2: talk talking about worship so um you know, when I've read the Quran, it's it's uh, it's very polemical in places. Polemical against uh, uh, Jewish people. Polemical against Christian claims. Uh, polemical against pagan paganism. Um, and then you have the is it the Kaaba, uh, the the rock um, that that is uh, I've forgotten it. is it the Kaaba? Have I made that up?
1: We have the Kaaba. That's- Kaaba.
2: That's it. I can.
1: The cube, that the cube yeah,
2: so. that's the that's the one I have in mind. Now um, that that looks expressly pagan uh, to 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 me. Um, I think any any I think any Jew or Christian would look at that and see that practice visually uh, and uh, as as pagan. But it seems to have been obviously they've incorporated it in, into 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 Islam. What could you explain the kind of rationale? something that looks expressively, expressively pagan in a religion that is, you know, actively polemical against paganism.
1: (laughs) It's fascinating. Islam is polemical against anything that's not Islamic. Uh, So it it would be against Christianity, it would be against um, Jews and Judaism, and it would be against uh, paganism and Hinduism and so on. Uh, that said, most religions disagree with any religion outside. I mean, that's just, that's why it's funny that you hear people saying, aren't you all religious people the same? (laughs) No, none of the religions actually really think that, unless you're a little bit more uh, sort of fluid in your theology, and uh, maybe if you do sign up to maybe some uh, eastern religions, whereas theology is not so sort of set in stone and so on. But um, with Islam, when again, you go back to asking those historically critiquing, those historical critiquing questions, when you go back to those sort of early foundations of Islam, it's all established in paganism. It's from a pagan area. It's from sort of most of the archeology span discovery, archeological discoveries are pointing towards um, a Northern part of Arabia. So you're more looking at the Jordan area, Petra Jordan and so on. Early inscriptions of Islam seem to be celebrating the coming from a more Nabataean type background. Um, You look at uh, Arabic of course comes out of the Nabataean religion, uh, Nabataean language, excuse me. You have um, descriptions of the, the Holy City, um, or what Muslims say is Mecca, um, the mother of all settlements, that doesn't describe Mecca, it describes Petra Jordan. Hmm. You have elements of a black stone and a black flag with eagles and uh, all sorts of... uh, pagan worships up again from the Jordan area and that's all incorporated into Islam you have the idea of pilgrimage and you have the idea of going to a place and praying towards a place now some of that is biblical because there is in these false religions there is adoption of some um, ancient traditions that come from the original religion but it's all been the meaning has been lost so the idea of a cube is in the Bible you have the cube the perfect Jerusalem in in Revelation is Cube. You have the tabernacle, the holy of holies, is a cube. It is the understanding you had to, you went to the cube and your, you put your hand on the sacrifice and your sins were imputed onto the sacre, given onto the sacrifice and your sins were forgiven. You have a high priest which represents Jesus. All of that wonderful gospel themes in the book of Exodus does incorporate a cube, but then you go to Islam and it removes the most important part of it, where the cube, the tabernacle, was where you went to meet the living God you actually interacted with the living God, your sins were forgiven, um, where the four new Jerusalem is the cube, is the perfect heaven, where heaven and earth comes together, well, in Islam, it, re- it rejects all that, and so it has this cube, and you do find that in certain um, pagan religions, but it's a cube, and there's not really any meaning, there's a black meteorite stone, and it's in the shape of a fertility, if you look at it, it's, I don't want to go into too much detail, but it looks like a woman, and it, it hmm. seems to be connected to sort of fertility. People go around and kiss the stone, and they go around it many, many times. Why? There's no real reason for it. You stand on two hills. Why? You put uh, monocloth on. Why? It all comes out of paganism. Hmm. So those rituals are straight paganism. There may have been a slight hint of the original story. It's left out the most important part of the original story, which the Quran does over and over and over again, which is that God meets with his people. In Islam, it's brought about a religion where God never meets with his people, which in and of itself shows it's not the same God. So one is true and one is not. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah. I I think there's anyone that's listened to an English translation of their prayers every day knows th- that it can't be, <laughs> as you explained it before, is their prayers are, we're not that. <laughs> we're we're yeah. not, God is not three. Um, well, who's that about? <laughs> well,
1: the, fact that the greatest um, sin, one of the greatest sins in Islam is shirk, isn't it? Equating hmm. something with um, Allah, Well, hang on a minute. Uh, It's almost as if there is God, Allah has no partners. And the most Mm -hmm. important part of Islamic theology, I had a a radio discussion with Ed Hussein, who's written the book, um, The House of Islam. And he took real uh, sort of, uh, he was not very happy. (laughs) One, when I said I'm not pluralistic. And two, when I, when I was just saying how it's not the same God, uh, because he would try to say it is the same God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, but in me having to admit that it's the same god i would have to give up jesus well then it's not the same god you're asking me to give up the living god who died for me mm. then it just can't be the same god it means one of us has to give up the core beliefs and tenets of what our 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 book teaches us yeah. Uh, so yeah i mean it, it the, it, just looking up the character of God, the character of the two religions, the prayers and how you pray and where you pray towards and, and what you say in the formal prayers. We have formal prayers from the Bible, beautiful prayers in the Old and New Testament. None of them relate to what you no. see in the Quran and the that first um, book of the Quran, which is, is what that that's, that prayer is, that is Muslims pray. That again, doesn't agree with what we see in the Bible either. And in Islam, there seems to be the core at least currently, one of the core themes is the monotheistic God. It's all about monotheism. It's all about the singularity. Is the monotheism even mentioned in the Bible? Is it even important? When God introduces himself in the Bible, it's either the Father, is the Son, is the Holy Spirit. Um, He's talking about, I am Jehovah. I am the only Savior of the world. I give my glory to no other. Uh, it, it, it just isn't Allah. It's a very different concept of God. So one is God and one isn't.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: so good. So, uh, I'm going going from that. Um, and I'm trying to trying to wrap my head around where where to go from here and whether or not <laughs> to go to the Trinity because th- that's part of the issue that I've I've had when sort of discussing this with. Muslims in the past, it's it's sort of the pushback is generally the same critique, but back at Christianity.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh so like with when you when you sort of say, well, the Quran doesn't make sense of history, they'll go, Well, here's his Bot generally. At least that's what I found a couple of times with
1: as if my whole theology is built <laughs> on Bart Ehrman.
0: It's, it's, hilarious. <laughs> it's like, you know, he doesn't believe in Allah either. Like, <laughs> why are you going to him? The <laughs> it is um yeah, how 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 does someone respond? Like keep how, how have you found that in your debates you keep them on track? <laughs> I guess because it it seems to me in the interactions that I've had it's like a bit of a what aboutism, and the the Muslim is almost trained or brought up to attack 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 Christianity
1: because the Quran does
0: because the Quran does, and when when you bring up when you respond. To that, in one sense, there's like a whole list of things. So, yeah, what would be your your advice on how to stay on track in a conversation with a Muslim? And
1: one of the uh, things I find very helpful is one support any claim. So we support claim and ask our Muslim friends to support a claim. So I read a book. I love doing a comparison. Let me just show you one of my favorite books ever. It's a little bit uh, off track on on who is God, but we'll get back to that. Yeah, Um,
0: it's all right.
1: It's this um, book right here. And it's The Myth of the Andalusian Paradise. It is one of the best books I have ever read. It's by Dario Fernandez Morera. And he is Spanish speaking, began to read a lot of the um, early resources of medieval Christianity and the Reconquista when Islam had by 711, conquered Southern Spain and was moving right up into France. And uh, in modern day uh, Islamic claims, and you hear this by our own politicians and in different parts of the world, you'll hear Islam spread peacefully. Islam came into Europe. There was a peaceful, harmonious uh, s- uh, society between Jews and uh, Christians and Muslims and if you go back to the actual eyewitness accounts, it's a complete different story. There was not a peaceful uh, situation between Muslims and Christians and Jews. There was horrific abuse of slaves, of women, and of na- North African women, and of European women. There was horrific treatment of non-Muslims under these, um, these and that's why you, had under the Islamic rule of Spain and North Africa, and that's why you had these reconquistings, this reconquista where people were, f- were pushing back against the Islamic um, marauders. Now, so you've got this book, the myth of the Andalusian paradise, and the reason I read it is because I just read um, Ed hussein's book on on the, the the House of Islam. When I read his book, I noticed he had very little footnotes in his book. There was claim after claim after claim. It was very pluralistic. You know, the Christians and um, we 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 believe in the same God sort of idea, and it was a very uh, religion is good for society as if we're all the same. Mm -hmm. And then there was these claims from just uh, business moguls and and famous people saying that Islam had this incredibly rich heritage that we Europeans and Americans have so much to thank for. And our academia and our arts and our sciences and architecture come from Islam. You hear all these claims. And I'm going back reading medieval literature. You'll see medieval books behind me. I love the medieval part of the time period, Um, both Christian and Muslim. I'm going no, it, it, what they're claiming is not adding up. And then I read this book, "The Myth of the Antiluvian Paradise" by uh, Dario Fernandez Moreira, and I couldn't put it down. Tough reading, some of it, but he footnotes almost every single claim, or he does footnote every single claim. So even if you don't agree with him, you've got to deal with the the original sources that he's he's footnoting in it from fr- French and from Spanish and from Arabic and so on, and from the actual Islamic witness accounts themselves. And he challenged uh, just this big romanticized vision of Islam that our society has signed up to. And what really struck me was that he footnotes everything. There are so many resources out there, including this kind of book, that we literally can carry with us and show with our Muslim friends. Um, This is obviously looking at the the history of Islam in Europe and North Africa. But we can do that about anything. We can do that when we talk about God. We can do that when we talk about Isa or Jesus or Muhammad. So I had the Sir Rasulullah, which is a biography of Muhammad in English, but you can get it in Arabic as well. And that's the earliest biography from a Muslim source. Uh, I don't use modern-day versions because they're romantic versions that are not historical. I use the Qur'an itself. I carry the Qur'an with me if I'm going to have a discussion with a Muslim friend on the Qur'an or on Islam or on God. Uh, I have the Bible with me. so. We can support everything we talk about. Mm. We can substantiate everything we say. All of our claims we can support. Or if we're looking into a new field of study, we can say, hey, there are these questions that people are now asking because the evidence seems to be pointing to something that's very different to what you, my Muslim friends, say Islam did or says or teaches and so on. Mm. Uh, So either we can substantiate, support all our claims uh, from both islam and christianity or we can um put the probing questions out there and say hey this is the latest questions that have been asked when it comes to looking at the trinity i love talking about the trinity it's the first thing i want to talk about when i talk with a muslim and um I, i love especially going to the books of moses now we teach an online course um called the one truth project course on islam it's a biblical response uh to to islam And we have both a historical response and looking at what the Bible says about Islam. Now the Bible doesn't specifically say, use the term Islam anywhere in its writing because Islam is such a new religion. And the Bible goes back to the beginning of when Adam and Eve were created. Mm Uh, but the Bible has been dealing with religions and ideologies like Islam from the time human beings decided, hey, you know what, God, let's we're going to go off and do our own thing. <laughs> mm. And so all the way through the pages of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, deals with Islam. It might have another name. It might even be under the guise of another name for, for another foreign god. But over and over again, as I read the Bible, old and new, I keep saying, this is Islam. Mm. This is Islam this is Islam. Hmm. And so we as Christians, especially if we want to engage with Islam and our Muslim friends, we've got to be biblically literate. That's our starting point. And the wonderful thing about my Muslim friends is I love that they love. They do love God, general speaking. Mm -hmm. They want to know God. They can't really get to know God in Islam, actually. That's their own theology, uh, according to the Quran. But they do worship and honor God. I love that. So Hmm. that's the starting point. But is it Allah or is it Jehovah? Let's look at who Jehovah is. And that's why I just use Bible verse after Bible verse. And my favorite verses to go to, or the favorite book to start with is the book of Exodus. Uh, the whole gospel and God's rescue plan for the world is profound in the book of Exodus. Um, Mo- Muslim friends love Moses. And I remember talking to a Moroccan once, a Moroccan man, and I was, um, at, it was in central London. and uh, it, uh, Muslims love to put book tables out and so do some Christians and you can get into great discussions uh, with Muslim friends at book tables and so on and a Moroccan guy was coming up with well Allah and Jehovah are the same I said okay if you're going to say Allah and Jehovah are the same we've got to open up the text and let's take a look. Let's let the text speak for themselves. I don't even have to tell you what I think of that. Let's let the text speak for themselves. And I just took him to Deuteronomy 18, where it says that a prophet must come in the name of Yahweh. If it comes in the name of another God, that prophet is to be put to death. It is deeply serious to the living God to come in the name of of another God because other gods take you away from God. Other gods take you to an eternity away from the living God. And everything that God has done in history is to make sure human beings spend eternity with him. Mm. And so I showed that verse and a few others from the books of Moses. And he was reading them for himself. And then he closed the book Bible up and he just goes, I have no response. He said, I've never seen this before. I have no response. Now, that was fine. It was the end of the conversation because my prayer then was, Lord He sees now what you think of other gods. Let him now think that through. And then the Lord Jesus can meet him and Mm -hmm. bring him through. So it's just getting him to think, let's stop signing up to this pluralistic, hey, it's all the same idea. It's not all the same. God knows who he is. He has a name. He behaves a certain way. And he has a vision for people. And it's the opposite vision of what Islam teaches.
0: yeah it's really interesting there's there's a couple of questions on the chat um dan did you have a follow-up question
2: uh, no no ask the questions if people oh, have okay. questions I've always... there's, a,
0: there's a couple of things i mean I've, I've been chatting yeah uh i mentioned before we, we've got this holy book club on on campus uh, where i work and um i get to speak to a muslim member of staff and we're striking out quite a good friendship and he would he's, he's quite adamant no it's not the same same god he's quite clear um so it, it does depend on the the muslim that you're speaking to i suppose maybe how heavy they're trying to win you over <laughs> trying to find no, that common that's
1: ground. great i i'm thrilled to hear that some muslim friends do do acknowledge that it's not the same uh, mm. that's great majority just tend to think it is and I think some of that comes from not being learned not 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 really learning Islam not learning about Christianity I think some use it as a ploy to try discredit you know as one God and 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 it's Allah mm. <laughs> almost to shut conversation down but uh, certainly the more I talk about um, the father son and the holy spirit my Muslim friends go yeah that's different <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah as soon as you get to the trinity and um, yeah and we the conversation was shut down quite quickly when the Trinity came up, I've, I felt, trying to explain that. Because obviously you've got the prayer that says, God is not three. And I'm like, well, that's not what we believe.
1: <laughs> well, that's the other thing. The, whoever wrote the Quran didn't know what Christians believed.
3: No. So yeah. how
1: could it even come from God? I mean, yeah. surely even God would know what Christians believe. So one, Mary is included in one yep. of the descriptions of, of God thinking is the Christian God in the Quran. So why did the author of the Quran not know what Christians believed? Uh, it has Jesus, or they say it's Jesus, it is Jesus, so it's Isa, denying divinities. Have they not read the Bible? If they're saying it's Jesus, why did it so disagree with what the Bible teaches? Uh, you have, you know, God is this sort of mono, monotheistic God, the singularity, there is no partners. Well, the Bible says, There's the eternal Son, there's the eternal Father, there's the eternal Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, It's not us taking a mere spirit or person and then making it God. It's that's who God is. Mm. And that's how he's revealed who he is. So, yeah, I mean, Muslims do begin to clock. Hang on a minute. This is a very different concept of God. So the next question is okay, who are you going to choose? The one who does everything so we spend eternity with him, or the one who's done nothing to ensure that you spend eternity? In fact, even if when you get into the islamic paradise
3: right.
1: he's not there so what is actually the point of this religion what mm-hmm. is the point of islam because isn't spirituality either to get to god or in other sort of other religions to get into a higher state of spirituality mm-hmm. or to become nothing even but isn't there an end goal in islam it's, it's to get into a stuff. garden and more stuff you have down here and no god what's mm-hmm. the point
0: yeah, this this will really help So there's a, there's a couple of questions here that will um, kind of link into this conversation about internal debate. Yeah. Um, So part of my theory with, with the whole we've accepted this romantic idea of uh, Islam is because at least for most of my time, maybe not so much in working anymore, but it, the, the first Muslims that I, I really interacted with were Ahmadiyya. Yeah which is has quite a lot of similar sounding of of god being love and and there's a lot more christian ease <laughs> christian language i think or common ground with that so you've got amadea but then there's a question here what's the difference between sheer and and sunny so i was just wondering could you sort of summarize those three camps in in your understanding and, and do they debate who god is or have they got at least well they certainly
1: debate certain, uh, they don't necessarily debate who God is, they all think it's Allah, but they would debate in certain elements of their religion uh, to the point of, of uh, being quite brutal and certainly it started that way as, as um, a brutal um, engagement with each other, um, hmm. killing each other's leaders and so on. History, again, is telling us it wasn't a religious thing. It was tribal political, and it really was one empire trying to to overcome another. That's a whole topic for another day. But when you look at some of the core beliefs of Shia and Sunni Islam, for example, there are some big differences. With Islam, you have your traditional uh, texts of Islam. Uh, With Sunni Sunni Islam, about 80 to 85% of Muslims are Sunni Islamic. So most Muslims are Sunni. So it's majority form of of Islam and they follow traditions that go back to Muhammad. So anyone listening to this discussion tonight who's a Muslim, who's Shia Muslim, won't always recognize some of the texts we've been referring to. So some of the hadith that Sunnis follow, Shias don't follow. So just to simplify, it's very complex, but to simplify it, your Sunnis follow Muhammad and the, the first four leaders of Islam who were the companions of Muhammad, some were companions of Muhammad. So Muhammad, companions and leaders, first four caliphs of Islam, they follow them and the traditions that come from them. Your Shia Muslims follow the family of Muhammad, full stop. So your traditions that come from the family of Muhammad, so they don't accept, Shia Muslims don't accept the four rightly guided caliphs, except they do accept the fourth one, Ali, who is part of Muhammad's family. So they'll follow even from some of the women of Muhammad's family, Fatima and uh, and Aisha uh, and so on. Uh, But they won't follow some of those um, Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman, those other three rightly guided caliphs that the Sunnis follow. So that's the first sort of divide. And then your Sunnis are much more about your caliphs, your written texts, your Shias. Uh, probably coming in from Persian ideas, Zoroastrian, um, much more follow your imams. They have 12 imams and your 12 imams. There's almost a mystical vision about these imams. The last twelve imam has gone into hiding. Um, there's going to be someone coming back again. Jesus is going to come back with, um, with this imam. Again, it's Isa, but Muslims say it's Jesus and so on. And they're going to destroy the cross, the pigs, Christianity, etc. cetera. So there's a tug of war there. Then your Ahmadiyyas come later and your Ahmadiyyas have another holy person. The reasons why your Sunnis don't like your Shia and your Ahmadiyyas is because they would add even another sort of holy person or another kind of prophet, and that's your Ahmadiyyas. And so there's some tension with who is sort of the people you you follow and who is the the holy prophet and so on. The difficulty for Muslims is... um, when you again go back to the early years, there was no set in stone theology in the early years of Islam. And it really does look like it was a political tug of war, one tribe up against another tribe. And later the sort of spirituality was put on to the earliest years of the the fights between what we now call Shia and Sunni. Now there's theological debates, but early on it was tribal warfare. And that's where all the earliest sort of sources and history is pointing towards. So that's your sort of your very, in a nutshell, very mm. simple, basic differences and divisions. It's deeply, deeply complex.
3: Yeah,
0: that's really helpful. There's there's one more internal. It might be a yes or no answer. I'm not sure, but there's uh, the miracle of Muhammad splitting the moon. Oh yes. Um, is that debated within Islam, or is that just a generally accepted? You know, it-
1: It's generally accepted certainly by your Sunnis. Funny enough, I have never discussed that with my Shia friends. Uh, I need I will ask them next time I see them, I'll ask them what they think of that. A lot of modern day Muslims in in England, uh, in the West, don't uh, bring it up because they know it's like, (laughs) oh, it's a little bit suspect. Yeah. There really is no evidence for it. I mean, have evidence for
3: it. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> so um, I think people are clocked. Okay, let's just keep that one quiet. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Where is that claim made?
1: It's in the Quran. Well, it's inferred in the Quran. It's it's there in the Quran. I, I can't give the reference off off the top of my head Uh, but it's about the moon being split um, and I think even bringing it down two sides of a mountain uh, but again you can imagine thinking you know the moon is pretty big I'm not sure there's a mountain big enough for the moon to come down two sides
3: Um,
1: but yeah you can google it you can get the reference I should know the reference I can't think of it
3: right now it It
0: might well pop up on the on the chat in a minute yeah yeah
3: yeah
0: yeah, Dan, oh, go
2: on. for it. Now go on, if you, there are more questions on the... There, there was one more, I'm trying to find it. Um, but in, in the but, meantime... But actually, it's,
0: it's a bit different from internal debate, so I'll, I'll bring that up in a bit. You, you go for it.
2: Because I know you're quite interested in sort of history and things, so I, I'd be interested to to hear, um, you know, what, what kind of historical claims um, do Muslims make about Christianity that that you would dispute? Um, maybe in regards to things I'm just things that pop into my head or things Jesus like doesn't cru-
1: die on the cross
2: yeah uh, I was thinking more you know sort of crusades and things like that oh and, yes um,
1: I so maybe. I've got some books behind me on the crusades and I've got wonderful books like the art of the bible and um we're we're, we're doing a uh we're going to actually develop a tour uh where we're going to be look at the middle ages uh, in some of the museums and um responding to the challenges that muslims have picked up really that a lot of atheists run with as well so those who are anyone who's skeptical against the christian faith um runs with so uh, for example the crusades is a favorite um we study the crusades we talk about it on our podcast so do go and listen to this just 10 minute little vodka um, on YouTube, The First Steps of God, if those of you who watch this and are listening now, uh, just check that out because we, we introduced some of those ideas there uh, with people who are experts on church history and the Middle Ages. So I have a special interest in the Crusades and the Middle Ages and the Middle a- medieval church, partly because as I began to study the eyewitness accounts for myself, Rather than depending what I'd been taught through academic institutions in the West, and really uh, sort of uh, it might be a Protestant challenge against again uh, sort of the Catholic medieval Church, um, forgetting that before the Reformation all of us were <laughs> either Catholics or Orthodox, uh, so we would have been part of that. And uh, as I began to read the eyewitness accounts of the Crusades from the Crusaders themselves, um, as I began to read the Islamic accounts, and And then uh, also reading uh, uh, um, Darius Marrera's book, it's like there is a whole other side to the story that we have been misinformed on and have been taught in such a biased fashion that we do not actually have a correct view of what happened in history.
3: Mm.
1: I think of some of those wonderful um, uh, hymns that come out of the Middle Ages. Think of um, the wonderful um, uh, uh, hymn, Hymn writer, oh, the Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, and he writes songs that we sing in church today. We're singing songs that crusaders and people who are preaching in the crusades, especially the early crusades, wrote. We're still singing them in church today, and these are profound Christocentric worship songs. Um, and they, they come out of great grief and pain. Uh, and we and they come out of a situation of warfare, something that some of us have never experienced, some have. <laughs> uh, we've been taught that the Islamic sultans were amazing and glorious and noble. And would do no harm to anyone, uh, that these were leaders to be respected and admired, that they were the ones who uh, brought about some of the advances that we so revere in the Western world and science and so on. They protected literature and academia and philosophy. It's all put at the feet of Islam. And then everything that's bad and evil and wicked and all the cruelties that happened in the middle ages. And it was a very evil, evil age. Of course, that's what we Stop. all hear. Yep. It's all the church. Yep. And that's not what the history books teach us. It just isn't what the, the eyewitness accounts teach us. It isn't what um, the, even uh, the Kings uh, uh, teach and uh, so on. And people say, yeah, but they're all biased. Well, everything's biased. Mm. You can still see what actually happened. even in biased accounts and so on. And so uh, I, I really challenge my Muslim friends and skeptics and Christian skeptics. Let's stop buying into a very secular, very biased rhetoric of the Middle Ages that is not supported by the eyewitness accounts. And the way to challenge it is go back and read the eyewitness accounts and read what the people who were involved in the crusades teach. Read why they went on the crusades. Read why some worked and some didn't. Certainly there are part, periods in church history that we are not ideal, but let's not say the whole of church history is an, uh, it was just little pockets that aren't ideal. That's not um, what the whole of church history is. So We just have to go back to the eyewitness accounts. We talk about it on the first steps of God as a way to just challenge some of these myths, trends, and legends that are out there that blind my Muslim friends from seeing the truth and from even beginning to accept that Jesus might be this wonderful person that has this incredible church that actually we can be proud of what a lot of the medieval church did taught, and it's them that protected much of the philosophies, much of the, much of the um, ancient books that we have. Even the academic style and the footnoting that we use in academic writing today, it comes from Christian kings like Charlemagne and so on, who existed at the time period that Islam was beginning to go into Europe. Yeah, I don't know what you've heard on, on all of that. Um, I mean,
2: what what would be an example? I mean, could you give us a sort of concrete example of something people think is true about that, uh, about the Crusades that you're saying is actually not the case when you look at the primary sources?
1: The Crusades took 400 years of Islamic invasions. Just read Darius Merrera's book on the myth of the Andalusian paradise. Let's take Spain. The claim is that the Islamic rulers came through North Africa, and uh, preserved the libraries, moved into Spain. And with, uh, you always hear some North African warriors and moved into Spain and produced an incredible peaceful society. What you don't hear is when the Arabs and they weren't Muslims at the time, they were called Saracens Saracens or Hagarines or whatever. They moved into North Africa enslaved the Africans, killed the African Christians and the early African church that is so influential on Western Christianity today, and Christianity worldwide, killed, the, uh, destroyed the libraries of Alexandria and North Africa, uh, either said to African Christians and pagans, you, be, you become a part of us or we destroy you. Uh, women were taken into slavery and the men were taken into slavery and these slave warriors were offered much uh, gifts and reward if they came into Europe and then they conquered so, uh, Southern Europe. And um, there was great fear went ahead of the warriors. So it was your Arab warriors with your African slave warriors. And this is the precursor to the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, it was a vast North African slave trade that happened before the transatlantic. And then uh, moved, they moved into Spain by 711. They had conquered parts of Spain. They were moving up into France. And the idea is that there was this wonderful, peaceful, uh, welcomed move of people into Spain. Well, that's just at the very early part of the Middle Ages. What is not taught is these leaders were cruel, that Christians and pagans lived as dhimma, dhimmes, the Anglicized way of saying that. So we were dhimma underneath the Islamic caliphs. A dhimma is a second-class citizen. You had to pay a tax to keep your head attached to your shoulders. Your tax had to be paid in humiliation. Your tax had to be paid where you had to be lower than the Muslim leader you're giving your tax to. Um, If you met a Muslim on the path, say, you had to get off the path so the Muslim can go along the path. If your horse, if you had a horse, your horse had to be smaller and you had to be lower than any Muslim. Your houses had to be um, sort of not as advanced. You had to live in your ghettos. You were completely separated and segregated, Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Uh, Christians and Muslims were lived in humiliation. There was also torture. There's terrible stories of a very, uh, very brutal uh, leader. And this was not an exception to the rule. This was more normal, where um, nuns were raped, where you have African slave boys were used as weights in a well. And so they died by drowning. Um, And where you have uh, 100 Christians nailed to the palace of the caliphs, and crucified. Uh, uh, it's just torturous what so, was happening.
2: Okay, but so right, let's say so say that, that's that's
1: that. from the tech eyewitness accounts. Yes, yeah, both so is this... Islamic and non-
2: Okay, so let's say that's true, but wouldn't, wouldn't someone could someone just respond? You know, I'm sure if I was chatting to someone say, well, you know, that's just the nature of the world back then. You know, the you know, before then the Romans were doing it, the Persians were doing it, the Greeks were doing it, the Carthaginians were doing it. That's just the nature of the world. Maybe, you know, Islam um, was just more effective.
1: Uh, well, was it the nature of the world? Because in that time period, so 711 up until about the First Crusade, where we're going into sort of the 12th century or so, so you have 400 years where there were many reconquistas where people were fighting back. And people were were not happy with these invasions. And so there's many sort of pushback. But really, the pushback happened in the First and Second Crusades. Now, we're not saying that everything happened in warfare is a wonderful thing. Death Mm. happens and torturous things happen. So nobody's saying, oh, yeah, that was great. (laughs) Woohoo. Nobody's saying that. But what we have to say is those Crusades, um, not the people's Crusade, which kind of people went off on their own, it was an absolute disaster but when the Crusades in a response to these invasions and the torture and not just against Christians and pagans but even against other Muslim groups and so on, um, the Crusades started. So for example you have little Christian kingdoms that were surrounded by Muslim uh, these mus- Muslim marauders and Muslim sort of empires Muslims were running to the Christian kingdoms for safety. Now, if you're telling me that all of the Crusaders and all of the Crusader kingdoms were evil places, why were the peasants and Muslims and Christians running to the Crusader kingdoms for safety? That's interesting. Mm. Um, when you look at why they were fighting, people say, oh, well, it was just total imperialism and the Crusaders went in to steal land back, uh, steal land from the Muslims. You're going, hang on a minute. The Muslim invaders had spread across the world and had never given that 1040 window, we often call it, sort of that sort of part of the middle belt of the world um, from sort of North Africa all the way through to Asia. That part of the world has never been given back to its people. Now, we know there's people movements and invasions all through history that happens. But where even just look at the British Empire, it gave back. People became independent from the British Empire. The Islamic belt has never given it the land back. And that Islamic belt stays today. Slavery exists still in those lands. So we're not saying that, oh, we're perfect, We've and the church has never done anything wrong. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is there is a whole nother side to the story. There were good Christian kings who righteously saw the, uh, the control, the power and the humiliation and the torture of the citizens of where Islam was ruling and it was right to stand and fight. And this is the helpful way to think of it. Think of ISIS, just that's been recently more or less, at least at the moment, it's, uh, it's, it's been suppressed. ISIS is a living example of what the crusaders were fighting. Was it right for governments to stand against ISIS? Yes, it was, because of what they were doing to the people they had invaded, what they were doing to women and children. The abuses that were happening with ISIS is exactly what was happening uh, in the early Islamic uh, medieval history uh, or right through a uh, medieval history, right through North Africa and into Spain? Who was fighting for the North African Christians and pagans when Islam went in? Who fought for the Christians when they went into Spain and then right through Turkey and all the way through um, into the Ottoman Empire with all those harems, those slave women taken from Europe and Africa into the harems? Who fought for them? Should we have fought for them? Yes, we should have done. So we've got to be much more intelligent in how we look at history. Uh, There is no such thing as a dark age. Most historians reject that now. There was incredible advances in the Middle Ages and you've got to thank many of the Christian kings and queens for those advances. It was the Christian kingdoms and the monasteries with the libraries all attached to every monastery and the literacy of the Christians in the Middle Ages, especially the early to the mid, um, that protected um, advanced sciences and mathematics um, and and, uh, even some philosophies and so on it's actually the christian kingdoms that protected it it was not islam Mm -hmm. uh, and so on
2: so just
0: just from that clarifying thing so what well, was part of that? Islam wasn't its unified self. I mean, you said some of the first Crusades, Seven Eleven, was that right? No, no, it's uh, later, much the, later. Seven uh, Eleven
1: but... is the first cru- Islamic Crusade into into right. invasion through North Africa. Eleventh century. Was the first uh, crusade. So yeah, I was You're going to say it's a little bit later.
3: So, so with
0: that, those first movements, mm-hmm. the Islam as a unified religion wasn't quite there.
1: No, it wasn't a unified religion and you can see in those first 100 to 200 years a real tug of war happening in different parts of what became what today we call the islamic world there's a real tug of war Uh, between who was going to become the ruling caliph. And there were um, different leaders and caliphs vying for supremacy. And it looks like um, sort of by the end of the seventh into the early eighth century, you begin to see the establishment of your Umayyad empire. Then you have um, your uh, other empires who were again, through the centuries, right into the time of the crusades, uh, there was different caliphs vying for supremacy
2: i think the, the 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 crusade sort of discourse is i find really interesting because what 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 it it's always judged uh, rather than objective it's always judged by its excess which yeah. everyone can agree you know um you know is there were definitely um you know instances where things went wait you know crossed the uh, the the moral a line. Barrier,
1: a line yeah
2: and um but it's very easy, I think, for modern secular Western people—not just Muslims—but to to look back uh, with our with our glasses now and think, "Oh well, we would we, we would do differently." But if you were a Christian um, or pagan back then, you know, and you're having your children being kidnapped and turned into child soldiers, was it was it mulacks? I can't remember. They were. Uh, uh, might
1: um, have been a bit... No, so it it, it um what They were called
2: Um, Maliks or Mulaks, or I'm sure that the the children were Christian children were taught were basically they were then trained uh, to be like their own personal Islamic armies, but they were basically made up of Christian children of Christian parents who were kidnapped. and, and just as a note, when you're talking about slavery is interesting as well, when compared with the transatlantic slave trade, it was the complete opposite in terms of transatlantic slavery was two to one males, two males for every one female in Islam, it was two to one the other way. Uh, and
1: um, and any slavery is horrific and different uh, cultures have been slaving each other all through when human, you know, since human beings decided, by bye God, we're going to do things our way. Uh, but in the North African uh, Arab Islamic slave trade that went into Africa uh, and from very early on within the first hundred years of what became Islam, because, of course, they conquered North Africa to come into into hmm. Spain within a hundred years of what became Islam and so you have uh the the killing of uh, of men or the enslaving of men the taking of women and children um sexual slavery horrific and that trans um Saharan slave trade both was run by Arabs and still is today uh but also you have the tribal slave trade so the, in the pagan areas there was tribal slave trade and as tribe as Christianity was destroyed by Islam they just destroyed mm-hmm. churches Christians Christians were annihilated you see if you didn't convert to Islam you just annihilated so the church was sort of wiped out in big parts of that now desert part of the world, Uh, but your pagans some of your and it became more pagan and pagan, and then your African tribes were enslaving each other, and of course so you have your Arab slaves enslavers you have your tribes enslaving and that all feeds into then what became the transatlantic slave trade Um, but the difference is in Islam you are allowed to have slaves that's why Islam cannot actually say slavery is wrong it doesn't have um, in the biblical teaching where in the bible uh, you pitch up at church and you are a slave owner that becomes a Christian you go to church and oh there's your slave who now is your leader your pastor of your church your elder of your church and you have Philemon who's saying, uh, your brothers now, your brothers, mm-hmm. you're not you're not slave and master, your brothers. In Islam, not only is the concept spiritually of slavery ingrained, you are a slave to the Master Allah, you are Abdullah, you're a slave of Allah. It's one of the most popular names in Islam for children, for boys. and you are subservient to whatever this master tells you to do. And then you have inside the Quran itself, Surah 4, so book 4, verse 3, where it talks about you have kind of four wives talking to men uh, but you must treat them equally, but if you can't, then you can take your sex slave, that's what your, uh, it says in the Arabic, what your right hand possesses, and that has always means meant and been interpreted and implemented through history as what you own, the woman that you own, Surah 424, again, you can take your, um, your slave, what your woman, the woman that you own, same as to Muhammad, Surah 33, um, after uh, sort of around 37, and the verses in there it talks about muhammad and the women that he could take and what your right hand possesses the females that you own slavery is ingrained in the quran from muhammad all the way through the quranic teaching Mm. to the practices of islam none of that is in the biblical teaching it's quite the opposite in fact
2: well and paul Paul condemns slave traders as Mm. as well who won't inherit the kingdom of god um, as slave traders so that kind of rules out um, you know, and I look at
1: the whole message of the gospel where Jesus says over and over again, I love the passage of scripture in um, the New Testament where Jesus goes into the, the temple and he reads from the Old Testament and he's reading uh, from writing that's uh, 700 years prior and um, from Isaiah and Isaiah 61 and talks about, I have come to set the prisoner free mm-hmm. um, and to release the slaves from bondage. And he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your midst and mm-hmm. uh, i love that portion of scripture the whole of the bible has been to f- set the prisoner free that's actually the gospel message jesus talks about it all the way through from genesis through to revelation that jehovah is the only savior and it's about him coming to set us free that was the old testament teaching that is the new testament teaching you don't see don't see any of that in the quran mm-hmm.
0: so is this and it, when it's sort of laid out like this, it's really hard to see how it can stand up. <laughs> like we've just got an hour and 40 minutes of, historically, it's not accurate. Um, linguistically, it doesn't hold up. It points to an Isa who doesn't really exist. Muhammad's not necessarily there. And then morally speaking, it, for, from how is it surviving and growing within the West so well um is it because it's sort of underneath the arabic (laughs) people just aren't literate kind of like how slave trade and slavery and especially in the african to the transatlantic was justified with biblical illiteracy we'll just we'll just teach you the bits that sound pro-slavery
3: um
0: how 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 come muslims aren't seeing this
1: A number of reasons. In the West, it's growing, and it literally is just uh, illiteracy about history, uh, not knowing Islamic history, Christian history. So, not knowing our own and not knowing Islamic history, not knowing European, African, Asian history, (laughs) Mm. uh, and the sort of interplay between Christianity and Islam. Unbelievable bias and skepticism applied to the Bible and anything Christian. a real, uh, sort of the Bible talks about the God of this age is blinded the, the minds of those that don't believe. Let's face it. All of us who weren't Christians early on in our life, we were blinded too. And then woo, we, we saw the light. Literally we saw Jesus. <laughs> we, we got it. Um, and that also is blinded people. The Bible says that there is a Prince working in the, in the world that blinds people. So that's part of it. But some of it is, uh, a, a, a real scepticism, post enlightenment against Christianity. If you can show that Christianity Christianity is the evil one, then you want nothing to do with it. And people have been taught that in the higher education institutions. When it comes to Islam, where are the uh, um, and? Um, uh, Darius Marera says this in his book. If you look at the institutions of higher education in the West, the uh, the Asia. Africa, Islamic studies area, is all propped up by Islamic money. That's quite interesting. Mm. In academia, There is not just in the uh, academia to do with the Middle Ages, most institutions of higher studies now, post-enlightenment, do not allow free speech in science, do not allow free speech in in history. So our particular researcher, who, who is on our First Steps of God little podcast, he has gone to one of the universities that does allow free speech. And, uh, but it's not in in England, he's gone. And so it's very hard to find um, an institution of higher education that really allows you to freely ask these questions. So for example, when I did my MA on the internal debates within Islam on the position of men and women in Islam, uh, my supervisor had to hunt the country to find a examiner, two examiners who would accept the thesis He said, Beth, it's not because there's anything wrong with this thesis, it's because the content, you're asking probing questions. Your content is literally, you've taken the text of Islam, you've taken the Quran, you've taken the history of Islam and the internal debates that Muslims themselves are having about men and women, and you've just presented it, and that he had to hunt for someone who would accept the thesis Where has our country got to and countries like us? Mm. And that is staunch Marxist atheistic thinking that has muzzled the mouths of anyone who has a strong position on faith. And it also feeds into liberal Islam and radical Islam. One of the things we teach on our online course that we teach is the relationship between your more atheistic Marxist ideologies, so your pagan ideologies, and how that is more of a brother with Islam. Whilst the Abrahamic faith, which is the faith of Jesus uh, or the faith, those of us who believe in Jesus, not the faith of Jesus, those of us us that believe in Jesus, the, the God of Abraham, that is something that is totally separate and very different. Yet people have tried to put Islam and Christianity together as if Abrahamic, but actually it is atheism, secularism, paganism and Islam, Hinduism and Islam, that is far more alike than it is with um, Christianity. And I think we've got to reverse our thinking Mm. and the almost brainwashing that so many of us, especially in the West, this is a Western issue more. So um, we've got to retrain and actually let's, you know, and simply go back to the actual earliest texts, Islamic texts themselves, earliest eyewitness accounts, the Quran, the Bible, let's just become informed And then just by becoming informed, we can begin to ask questions. Now you asked, why is it that so many people are still signing up to Islam? Why is it that so many people are accommodating Islam? Why is it that so many people reject the church based on what they think is its history and so on? It is illiteracy. It is also just, I think, an ingrained spiritual hatred. We've got, as Christians, we can't ignore that. There is an ingrained hatred against Christ. Jesus says, because of me, you will be hated. So there's part of that, part of it's spiritual, and part of it is just simple ignorance, actually.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: It's going to ask a question. It's It's scary, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to ask a follow up, but it just um, just went from my mind. So Dan, jump in.
2: No, I was just saying. I mean, in terms of sort of freedom and the the, the freedom to kind of explore questions, I think that is um, personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily ascribe it always to a particular view it's, it's 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 a very human characteristic about when you think you have the truth you don't want to ex- you don't want to you don't want to dig dig too deep you know and christians throughout history have been as guilty of that in many t- many times as well and i think you know what we see today is sort of a more uh, at least in the west is a, a secular version of that aversion you to to probing
1: history all through history there's been pockets. Not,
2: not not through all, not through all throughout history but i'm 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 saying at least um i think you know if you look through the sort of you know as, uh, let's look at sort of reformation on well actually no we I mean, can go out throughout hi- history and when we're talking about heretics you know the the sort of tradition of of um this is orthodox belief and once you're out you are so you are a heretic and you you therefore um it's permissible to treat you in a way that wouldn't be permissible were you inside the circle of orthodoxy um and that for me you know well no it's just it's a, it's a fact of history that christians have been as guilty of that and i think what we're doing today is just seeing a i don't think there's anything necessary atheistic about um uh, about that i think it's it's just it's just very very human and we're just we're just at a point in history where uh you know we're seeing seeing expressly expressed in, in in that way um and i think yeah. we're all, we're also in the point of a an experiment as well you know if culturally um you know we are pluralistic and we're trying to figure out how do we how do we get on we all we all you know we all we all know secretly fundamentally we all disagree you know about things that 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 matter uh, in a lot of cases and i think the 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 hesitancy especially maybe in academia and uh, and just average people um they don't they don't they they don't want to create tension by exploring those difficult questions and i'm not i'm not saying that that is right i'm just saying that we're trying to figure out you know there's never been uh you know a culture I think, especially perhaps the uk especially as um as culturally and ethnically eth- ethnically diverse as, as, as we are today and in terms of relig- you know religious views as well and i think um the sort of secular approach is well th- let's just try and get along and let's not too let's not let's not ask too many questions and yeah. I think that that's the I think that's the it's motivated I think in something that's good um it's how can we get along um but the outcome the 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 uh, the consequences of that is it becomes like you experience it becomes very difficult to ask those difficult questions because mm-hmm. you're perceived as a troublemaker yeah. because you're trying to we're trying to get on and you're trying to uh, you, you're trying to dig up trouble for us and so i so i i I, under, I understand it and I'm not saying it's right but i think it's 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 rooted in 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 something that is good but unrealistic because for mm-hmm. people who you know who want to pursue truth at um you know at almost any cost you're always going to be perceived as a troublemaker and in, and I think life you know especially at the moment life will be made difficult for people who want to pursue, truth by asking those difficult questions
1: yeah i certainly think i uh, on some some of those points i i i totally agree on others will will disagree uh Dan, <laughs> but that's totally fine and we're allowed totally to can. yes exactly um on the point of like yeah you're right uh people want harmony people want social cohesion, that's a really sort of popular term at the moment, uh, people want us uh, to sort of come under one umbrella and live side by side, and the modern thought is, well if we all agree, or we all sort of just water down what we believe, or we just don't say what we believe, uh, then we have harmony, but the biblical perspective has never been that, um, the biblical perspective, and as you know, um, is, you know, we can, we can categorically disagree with someone in within our own church tradition and outside, within our own faith and outside, and absolutely love that person. It is uniquely a biblical perspective and not every Christian all through the ages, including ourselves, have done this right but it is a uniquely a biblical perspective where we can even love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us. And we can categorically disagree with someone on every element of their beliefs or life choices and so on, and absolutely care for that person and die for that person. That's Christ. That's Christ's mm-hmm. way. And Christians through the ages, including in the Middle Ages, <laughs> including mm-hmm. in what was considered that terrible time period of history, have witness that. Even just in reference to something you said earlier about how, yes, if you look at the orthodox position of the church, which we still have today, as in, I don't agree with Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't agree with Mormons. They are heretics because they deny the risen Christ. They deny the divinity of Jesus. That's what a heretic is. But And there have been elements in history where Christians have gone too far and how they've responded to that. That said, even in the Middle Ages, when you have the church, which we all were a part of before the Reformation, and it's still the largest portion of the Christian world, if you look at the numbers, Mm -hmm. Um, you have the Orthodox and Catholic Church. Um, When they they had their councils, they came together, this is what orthodoxy is. It was always against those that were undermining Christians, were trying to take Christians away from the risen Christ, from the God who died Mm -hmm. for them. And Just like God says in the Old Testament that prophets who come in the name of another God was to be put to death. They took that very seriously. Now, you and I may not necessarily agree with that. it's not how we do things, but they took very seriously. If you're going to go into the church and take people away from Christ and thereby take them into eternal damnation, that is a serious offense to the living God. now even in those time periods of medieval history they didn't automatically destroy people they just excommunicated people (laughs) um Mm -hmm. there were pockets when other things happened (laughs) but on the whole on the whole they were said that person is teaching heresy they are not a part of what we have always known to be true and what we learned from the apostles and so on Mm -hmm. so even there we need to just be a bit more informed in when we, we view what actually happened in history. And I would say that if we truly love Jesus, you can say whatever you want against him. You can say whatever you want against me and debate me and I can debate you and everyone else. But we love each other and we care for each other. And um, we, live, we can live in harmony with each other as a Christian, with people of non-Christian faith, because we love them, because Christ made them in his image and also he died for them and that is uniquely a biblical position no other religion and no other ideology human ideology has that in their thinking and in their sort of internal um view of of the other and of someone else Mm.
2: yeah no you're right i mean it's a uniquely christian ideal it doesn't to love your enemies is Mm. uh you know it's historically always been countercultural. um mm-hmm. you know it, it just doesn't exist it's it's um you know it's it's otherworldly in a way like it can only it can only come from above and and to be able to actually do it um and it's so powerful when you see it as well you know you love those mm-hmm. testimonies of uh you know people who are able to forgive um people who in many ways don't deserve forgiveness um mm-hmm. you know on a, on a on a human level so um yeah, Are you no, challenged
1: by the uh, prayer where God tells us He says, um, "This is how you pray: Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name." And then at one point of the prayer, He talks about, "Give us our daily bread." And then He goes, "Forgive others as as you. as you, as
3: forgive
1: as us. Who, and forgive us as we forgive others." Yeah. Every time I pray that, I'm like, oh, "Okay, Lord." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: and, and he has he has
1: helped me forgive anyone that's done anything against me be a muslim atheist christian you know um mm. and he helps us do that and again that's with the with god god uh helps us do that yeah yeah the
0: yeah. reconciliation between god and humanity mm-hmm. it's, yeah it's such a major theme throughout throughout all that uh, just sort of on that on the note it's just kind of a, a point rather than a question It's just interesting the silence on certain areas it's one thing i noticed with with muslims especially in response to some recent events within the sort of islamic uh dawa team and, and things like that the they seem to be very quick to jump on the secular ideas of shutting conversations down where you might cause offense so e- even to the extent of this word islamophobia the use of phobia and i find that quite interesting that to to me that shouts victimhood very quickly these Mm -hmm. days is i i'm going i'm going to be offended by whatever it is you're going to say therefore you hate me which is the new definition of phobia and um and that goes for the sort of homophobia and basically you stick phobia against it and you sort of win an argument you shut it down and um just be interested, sort of. Maybe as a final question, as we hit the two-hour mark before our final, final question. Of um, just, just on on that view that there's this trend to sort of go on the defensive in the sense of like, well, you can't say that about me because it's outright offensive. What do you, what do you make of this? I don't know how growing it is, but I've seen it a few times now on my Facebook feed. This idea that we should start this phrase, Christophobia. <laughs> that people are are put are are victimizing christians i've got my own opinions but i just want to stand on
1: truth people can say what they want you still belong to the truth and you belong to god so uh, jesus says take up your cross and follow me they will hate you because of me i mean christians are going to be hated christians and as the more our society moves away from God and any memory of Christianity, and it is, mm-hmm. and that's why whenever you see society becoming much more pagan or much more, and when I use I use pagan in the loosest term, I don't mean the actual sort of religious worship or paganism, I more mean sort of, you know, your your secularist ideas and you and I know, you know, Dan, you may not support this necessarily, but that's okay. Um hmm. and you know, just to sort of your your unbelie- unbelievers, people who don't sign up to Christ at all as God and saviour. Um, when you move away from that and you reject it from even your memory, as modern society is worldwide, this is not just a Western phenomena. You see, Islam takes root. Whenever the church is weak, Islam takes root. It seems to attach itself to environments where there's a weak church or a church that's compromised, a church that has been uh, even signed up to either pluralistic idea or is not not standing up strong with a a convinced uh, faith and so on, who is not speaking out. And when I say speaking out, I don't mean we all have to be nasty out there. I mean, just witnessing to Christ and and being firm in what we believe and Christian uh, morality and so on. And the more you move away from Christ in a society, you'll see this, especially post-Enlightenment, but even post-Reformation, but especially post-Enlightenment. You really see a move um, towards a suppressive kind of uh, regime that does not allow for free speech. And actually, some of, at the height of some of the medieval kingdoms, there was a lot of freedoms and a lot of free speech, and that, which people don't realize that. And as Christians, we really can live side by side with someone and not use these terms that are so popular in modern society. Modern society coins someone according to a new identity or coins you according to a, a level of income or even the color of a skin or it coins you and and puts you into a bracket if you um if you support this person or vote that person like you're put into these narrow little uh identity uh uh, boxes that doesn't reflect true humanity and isn't how god wants us to live and if you dare say something against what that particular person says or that majority person says or that celebrity says or whatever or that political party suddenly it's a phobia and then you are completely vilified this is a con- this is a control mechanism it is very human as down you were saying that but it is connected i believe anyway to a rejection of christ's ways in in society. Um, Call it what you want, but a rejection of Christ's way, because Christ loved meeting with those who had polar different ideas from him. He lived and moved among them. He chose people to be his disciples who were really from all different levels of society and um, were not the kind of people you necessarily want to take home to a cup of tea. And he moved among people who both morally through to their opinions were polar opposite to him. I love that about God. I mean he is the example. And the more our society rejects him as the example, the more our freedoms are suppressed. There is a move towards that. In especially in the West, there's a move towards that. And Islam will buy into that because it fits in to mm-hmm. Islamic political ideology, theological yeah. political ideology.
2: It's um yeah, it's frustrating to see Christians do that trying to sort of replicate some of the worst things of of secular culture. It's like, well, how, you know, how do we gain power? Well, it's we, you know, we represent ourselves as as victims as 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 a powerless group um and 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 so uh we try and see ourselves as that to try and take take some take some power power back by sort of saying no, we're the victims as Christian phobia and stuff like that and and some people might, like you said, like historically, it's always been a, Christians have all, you know, throughout history have not been liked and, and have been, you know, people have told lies of, about us and, and, and uh, probably, at least in the West, probably they more so than any group. I would, I, I would say we're probably misrepresented the most. But the answer to that is not um buying into a narrative a victim narrative it's mm-hmm. it's um it's speaking truth uh, mm-hmm. you know speaking that classic so speaking truth to power and to um you know projects like yourself trying to expose uh, falsehood to to the light of of, of truth and things like that um,
1: Think about it. Christians are never victims, even if we are no. martyred, so we're killed for our faith. We go to like the best place of you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next to God. I mean, wow. And we we follow the King of Kings. I mean, mm. the King of Kings is on the throne. One of my favorite verses to read to a Muslim or passages of scripture is um is Revelation twenty uh, Revelation nineteen, and then right to the end of Revelation. I love those chapters revelation 19 to the end of revelation but revelation 19 tells you who the king of kings is and it challenges muhammad it challenges anything to do with hinduism it challenges paganism it challenges um it sort of marxist atheism and all the oh, sort of little isms and so on and it just shows who the true king of kings is that's who we belong to
3: mm-hmm. and
1: ultimately we we're never a victim it doesn't matter what happens to us we are never a victim if you belong to the king of Kings
2: amen Uh, yeah just one thing so go on i I like what you you, you said about um well i don't like it the outcome but you're right um is (laughs) is when when um when the church is weak and christianity is is uh kind of uh, lacks cult cultural sort of power and and, and respect you see islam grow and it's and it's interesting because even a lot of prominent sort of atheists have have, uh, a very talk about this a, a lot more now, um, you know, Dawkins, uh, even someone like Doug, Douglas Murray makes similar sort of observations. Um, as, as the West becomes less explicitly Christian and removes those sort of Christian assumptions, um, you do have this this vacuum, a spiritual vacuum, because, you know, a substantial amount of the you know, proportion of the population are, will, you know, have spiritual needs and the same we have other needs. and And, and if that's not gonna be met by Christianity, People are going to pursue um, that, you know, try to satisfy that need, that, that desire, and that need somewhere else. Mm. And so, there's always going to be this vacuum. So it makes sense as as as, as Christian Christianity recedes, something else comes in its in, in its place. And you know, we've got secular religion of of social ju- justice, and wokeness. But we've also got, um, you know, uh, of Islam, you know, growing as well. A lot of West Westerners. Um, you know, uh, converting to Islam and things like that. so it is it definitely you know probably more more than anecdotally does seem to be to be the case.
1: Uh, and yet all thinking. of those people who sign up to the different religions, um, all of the, the deepest needs of of the human heart are ultimately found in the king of kings he is the one who brings ultimate justice he is the one that sees value in every single human being he is the one that can remedy every single situation and he is the one that is going to bring peace on earth I mean, like and and it's those those longings of the human heart are satisfied in King Jesus. Um and if Christians can get that, starts for the church, the church gets that, then wow, what what power to the world and what safety to the world um if they if they you know turn to the King of Kings who is the ultimate solution.
0: Mm. Mm. Uh, It's it's interesting, and there's so much more they could probably talk about, and I won't go down that rabbit hole. But before I ask the last question, it's just just that sort of statement that I, I, I see people moving towards like It's easier to understand. <laughs> um, it's easier to understand God is one. It's easier to understand I've only got five things to do. And maybe one of them, if I can afford it, is kind of optional with uh, the pilgrimage, as I understand it. But the there, there is this simplicity, and I, and I see that used as an argument from Muslims when you bring up the Trinity, and even when you ex- explain it fairly well, as I've seen Bob the Builder do, they'll, they'll just be oh, so complicated. God's just, he's just not like that. <laughs> and, you should and say that's who like, Bob the
2: Builder is, because that could be quite confusing for people. Oh,
0: Bob the Builder, not, not the cartoon. Yeah, so that's, that's the corner. Sorry watch socco films on youtube sign up to them they're awesome and watch just youtube bob the builder um anyway he explains the trinity really well but the argument and I'm back is who
1: else explains it beautifully is dr paul blackham get anything from dr paul blackham fantastic yeah search superb, him superb superb
0: and uh, we've got someone coming up to talk about the trinity in a few weeks time actually um mm. i can't pronounce his surname but his first name joshua if he he's on socco films as well and um yeah it, that that seems to be an argument back oh it's just it's just so complicated <laughs> therefore god god can't be that but i, I find that quite interesting that
1: goes Against actually just even normal logic which yeah. some friends love to point out i mean hang on yeah. if you can really get god completely then there's not much of a god no and-
0: he's made in our image
1: yeah we're made in his image now yeah. that woo, you yeah. know but, but god made in our image so we can understand him that is not god that is not the solver of all the problems in in the world <laughs>
2: right. yeah truth, truth is often complex uh, and that's that's the nature of truth is it? it's not always simple you know physics isn't simple but <laughs> you know the, the 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 um you know the underlying physical laws are not simple they're they're complex uh, but they're true you know, so it shouldn't be the the fact our that brains,
1: our brains are magnificent. The, bo-
2: the body is complex.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm. Um So the fact that, you know, I don't know, just because something simple doesn't seem yeah. to. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not a great be. argument, I'll give that.
3: But it's I mean, just his, what I've what seen. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: mean, historically, there's been a lot of Christians and they've, they've been able to, to grasp enough to. uh Yeah. So. Before well, we
1: go down the road, re- I the think tradition. we can complicate things, don't you think? Sometimes we yeah. complicate things. The Bible, when you just let the Bible speak for itself, from mm. Genesis right through to Revelation, and you just let God tell us who He is, it's like,
0: oh, oh. so true. Oh. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's something, yeah. I've definitely come to more appreciate just having a decent grasp of the Bible overview. I'm actually teaching that starting on on Saturday to to some international students and. And getting into that sort of genesis to Revelation, let's look at this strand and and this thread and and figure out how this theme flows. That in itself is a a form of apologetics in so many ways and recognizing that this culture is not mine, this story is not mine, this story is God's and who he -hmm. says he is. And it's not an instruction book for my life, but it's a revelation of who God is in history. It just changes it's a paradigm shift and and i think just a, a, for, for me the bible project has been one of the, the best resources for really figuring that out also because they avoid all these labels of like i'm calvinist and reformed yeah. and what i just study the bible and we'll figure out we'll, we'll end up where the bible ends up and and let's go from there and i think that's a really good way to to do it
3: phil could
1: i just point out a couple of resources too just yeah to- that's
0: our last question actually so yeah resort resources away so favorite books podcasts you name it and uh, we'll sort of close up after we've done about
2: i, I like filling up my amazon list um <laughs> what was the how do you spell is it john rubeck because i've heard of his name john rubecker how do you spell his second name or
3: um
2: oh, and you can find it here uh after i'll, I'll
0: search
1: it a k e r at the end i'm not sure actually
0: um i'll, I'll it, find, I'll uh, find there's it a, yeah, there's we'll... a link there but oh, okay. i'll also put it into the live stream
1: <laughs> so uh, first of all when it comes to theology god and some of the things we've talked about towards the end of this little time together actually uh it is uh, so the more sort of theology but s- simplified and it, you can do it day by day it's for six months Uh, each book this is book two and again this is dr paul blackham you can just get on amazon frameworks volume two this one's called god (laughs) some Hmm. uh, first ones i think it's roots god um there's jesus uh, creation there's all different ones and i found these absolutely fabulous dealing with modern christianity modern thinking legends in modern society islam other religions christianity it deals with all sorts of topics for Christians and non-Christians. I use that if a Muslim friend asks to study uh, like a study book, I would use that and the Bible. And again, for easy to read commentaries, it would be the book by book study guide. This is Samuel. I love the... Uh, I think it's first Samuel when you have, um, again, you have God pictures up at the the bed of uh, little Samuel, the boy, and he's calling Samuel into ministry. And there God stands by his bed and speaks to him. It's fantastic. Um, But that's in Samuel. That was pointed out in in these book by book series. There's simple explanations. The one at Exodus is super for Muslim. Um, When it comes to Uh, looking at at all the church fathers. I love the church fathers. I could read them. And I just have them on my my shelf and I can read them and they help me interact with Islamic theology. Hmm. But, Something that's I, This is a super book. I'm reading it at the moment, so I haven't finished it yet, but I've liked so far. Aaron W. Hughes um, called Abrahamic Religions on the Uses and Abuses of History. Why that term Abrahamic religion even exists? Where did it come from? It's political and it gives the history of where that came from. It's a new idea and it's super to challenge this idea in modern society that Muslim friends and atheistic friends and whatever friends use, many Christians use, um, Aaron W Hughes, Abrahamic religions on the uses and abuses of history. And uh, you have Daniel J. Janasic, John of Damascus, and that's just one of the first apologists to the Muslims and that's interact early uh, Christian engagement with Islam very early on in Islamic history. Dan Brubaker, that online for some reason I cannot remember <laughs> um, Quran com- uh, comparison is it,
0: site. Is the Quran Gateway? Is that uh, what it
1: is? Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah.
0: That's what I found it.
1: And so and and anything to do with defending and explaining understanding medieval Christianity, just like the art of the Bible I have on my shelf here. Uh, these are just wonderful. The Book of Bibles they're just uh, they're quite new books the book of bibles i got this at the british library and they're just wonderful little they literally just present biblical manuscripts and as you read about them you're going this is no uh simplistic uneducated church this is a sophisticated church this is a bible that's tried and true and tested uh, and so on so that's i just find that very helpful sometimes for middle ages Oh, there's so much, but maybe that's uh, helpful for now.
0: (laughs) You know, you've got an agreement in the chat that John of Damascus is a good book. So uh, yeah, yeah.
2: that's been on my Amazon wish list for about a year. It was just a little (laughs) bit. I'm I'm waiting for uh, yeah. When I I, maybe next month, I'll just buy one book rather than a couple cheaper Um, ones. You
1: have to buy this one, and if you do, if you the myth of the Andalusian paradise, that's your first buy. (laughs) Okay. If you want if you want um, it's a good
0: size as well that that looks like a that's like yeah. a power book that that says oh yeah
1: it's amazing <laughs> and, and it's it, sometimes the yeah it, it, the footnotes are extensive but it's good to read with the opposite view and the opposite view is ed hussein the house of islam and that book has been put forth as this is the book that must go to every politician and he oh,
3: himself
1: says that he 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 advises government, I know he advises certain people in very high positions of the land, very influential Muslim. He is a liberal Muslim. His ideas would not be accepted by traditional Muslims at all. So the majority of Muslims would not agree with Ed Hussein. And he is a pluralist by his own definition. So he, hmm. he, he'd he he be like a liberal Christian. So he doesn't represent Islam really. And he buys into the romanticized narrative. This book just squ- squ- uh, just really... It is the the opposite of his book, and this is the footnoted book, and it just uh, undermines uh, every other claim. That I'm, a
2: ban, I'm a big ban, big fan of footnotes. So
1: use, yeah, me too. Use those two read those two books in tandem. They can be quite helpful. Yeah,
0: excellent. Thank yeah. you so much. There's there's a lot of uh, another section it's added it. to my yeah. wish list. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <Best>
1: <laughs> <thing>? <laughs> Start with the Bible. That's yeah. the best book of all.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you're right. No, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good that's a good place to end yeah we'll have to and and this is this has been really good i'm sure everyone listening is has really enjoyed listening to you uh, we have and um it'd be good to have you back on again this is what we're trying to think it'd be nice but we, we've got such a long list of people we're trying to get through it keeps growing all the time but uh, but at some point it'll be nice to to get people like yourself back and and uh maybe with some specific sort of questions we can discuss for an hour and and things like that um yeah Dan
3: be, phil it'll, it'll, it's been a it'll, pleasure it'll,
2: it'll be great yeah. loved it yeah
0: so so many so many good things to go and chew on and and maybe test out with my muslim friend as well and see how it goes <laughs> oh, yeah so maybe much. don't start with maybe um demolish having... the quran in five minutes no yeah, I'll, I'll try yeah, to <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> be good if we get on we'll see how we'll, we'll keep it going yeah. cool well, thank you so much bethy oh um i'll close off here say a few things and then I'll stop the live stream before Dan starts another conversation. Uh, <laughs> so those of you uh, watching, thanks for being in the chat. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure seeing your conversations. Um, programmer, London Theist, 136 Apologetics, Slammer N, Tyler Jono. thank you uh, for your comments. Sorry if we missed some of your questions. Um, feel free to comment anyway, and we'll, we'll try and get to them maybe on another stream at some point. Um, if you've, not been following along on our social media do give us subscribe and if you'd uh if you're here next Thursday we've got Claire Williams who's the founder of uh Get Real and we're going to be talking about uh race and identity and also potentially responding to the recent uh equalities minister's comments on critical race theory and uh, having a bit of a discussion on that potentially from differing points of view so it'll be a fun one, really looking forward to that. So join us 8 p.m. next Thursday. And uh yeah, follow us, subscribe, share, all that stuff, and um, this will be out on the podcast as soon as I get around to it. So cool. Thanks again. Have a good night. Are you not entertained? Stay, stay. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch, let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us
3: on patreon.com.